It's me, Mario. Another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Jeremy Gregory. Hey, folks. And returning for the second time, Celeste. Hey, good evening. And uh, Billy is not here. Billy has moved and he's got a new job starting and stuff. So he's going to probably be missing for a few weeks, but he will be back at some point. But until then, we're going to have some people filling in. And Celeste did such a good job on the Pocky and Rocky episode that we thought she would love to come back again and talk about a game that I know she's played before. Before we talk about what game that is. I have a question for both of you. I've already talked many times about my earliest gaming memories or the Intellivision playing, you know, Astro Smash and then later on the Dungeons and Dragons games. Like those formed my gaming uh, opinions and, and who I've become as a gamer. But, but Celeste, what's the first game you remember really playing? I don't remember if it was Sesame Street 1, 2, 3 on the Nintendo Entertainment System or the Super Mario Brothers slash Duck Hunt game on the Nintendo Entertainment System. My dad's a gamer, so he introduced me to the Nintendo System, and I fondly remember coming home from preschool and playing with him. I'm actually shocked that there is a person alive who bought the Sesame Street 1, 2, 3, or ABC games, and it was your dad, apparently. So good good for him, trying. <laughs> My parents did buy the Educational Against the Intellivision. We played them, but they were not what we wanted to play. We wanted to play Astro Smash and all the other stuff. So uh, that, but Super Mario Brothers or Sesame Street on the on the Nintendo, I think that especially the second one, uh, probably a lot of people would say it was one of their earliest game memories. But but Jeremy, what was the earliest game you remember really playing? I I've been trying to think about it, and I it's got to be either like Dig Dug or Pac Man in the arcade or Donkey Kong, because you know I, I started playing games before the NES came out. I was very tiny, but. I, I do remember playing arcade games and stuff like that. So I, it'd probably have to be one of those very early arcade games like that. I can't pin it down because I'm way too old, but probably in a, a Pizza Hut or, or something like that and, and whatever arcade game they had sitting in there that, that, I, that my dad shooed me away from his date so he could, you know, mac on his woman. So I you know, went over there and played some Pac-Man or whatever. I mean, that's a good reason to play some Pac-Man. And you're right, I probably did play some arcade games here and there, but we didn't go to arcades. I'm the oldest of my brothers, so it's not even like I would have had an older brother who's gone to an arcade somewhere. And I kind of lived in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin for a long time. So there weren't a lot of arcades near me. But uh, I asked you guys this question, not to just kill time, which I do at the beginning of every podcast with something, but instead... We have, this week, a patron request. If you want to force us to cover your game, you can always join our Patreon. Uh, and there's instructions there on the, the levels you have to join, everything, $10 level, to get us to cover your game. Well, this person did that. And their first game, 
the game they remember playing. The same question I just asked you guys is the game we're going to talk about today, Super Mario 64, of course, for the Nintendo 64. So as we mentioned at the start of the show, this is another patron request. Uh, this time it is coming to us from John. So welcome to the show, John. Hi. Uh, now, a lot of, you know, like our last episode was on Rings of Power for the Sega Genesis. It was one of those games where people, the, the patron picked because it was a favorite of theirs as a kid. They knew no one had heard of it. Uh, you went the other entire direction where you picked a game that I can't imagine there's one person listening to this podcast who does not at least have the knowledge of, of at least a hands-on experience with the game you picked, which is Super Mario 64, of course, for the Nintendo 64. Why is this the game you chose for us to cover? Uh, honestly, it's uh, it's one of the first games I ever played. Uh, this game came out in '96, and uh, so did I. So uh, I obviously didn't play this game when it released, <laughs> but um, it's one of the first ones that I remember ever playing. And uh, I mean, I played all the way up to now, 25 years after release. Uh, I probably play it like maybe two times a year, and replayability is one of the major reasons that. I love playing most games, so uh, this is definitely a game that I can come back to time and time again. Well, I uh, I came out well before 1996. In fact, I was working at a video <laughs> game store when this was released, so I remember this this game came out, and everyone was super excited about it. I had tried it because we had it in the store, and, and really, when the Nintendo 64 launched, um, there were really only two games that it came with. You could either get Mario 64 or Pilot Wing 64. That was it for the first few weeks of the console being out, and so the the thing you're going to put out to show everybody is going to clearly be Mario, Super Mario 64. So I played a little bit of it. I played the first level area, and I kind of tried some of the others. And then up until now, with you requesting this game, I've never really played this game. Uh, not for any major reason. It's not like I didn't like it. I, what I played, I was like, yeah, this is probably really good. And then, you know, it's the first time Mario was 3D. It's a little bit clunky compared to the later 3D incarnations of Mario. And just at the time, I was firmly in PlayStation land. I was not going to buy a Nintendo because it was for kids, and the PlayStation was cooler for adults because I was a fool. Uh, and so I, I'm very glad you picked this because I get to go back and revisit a game that everybody seems to love, uh, or or there are people that don't care for it, but they've at least put real time into it to determine why or why or, uh, or why they may not like it. So I finally get a chance to do that, and I've been enjoying myself thoroughly uh, playing through this one. Uh I know the replayability is a big factor, but I, you know now that you had once you had played this, did you go back and play the earlier like original Nintendo Mario's? Uh, yeah, I uh, the big one that my parents had actually played was uh, like Super Mario Three. That was the main one. Um, afterwards, I played all of them, but that was that was the main one I played. The ones before that wasn't really uh, before three. I couldn't really get into that much as a kid. I I played them now. Um, but three was really the only one that really uh, interested me at the time. Yeah, my, my kids uh, who are are younger than you, but they they both have played the original Mario's and and like they like Mario Odyssey, how they have kind of the flashback levels that show you some of the graphics to the original games, but still play like Mario Odyssey and and uh, you know they, they I they are also not big into the older Mario's. They kind of think they're a little primitive. But Mario sixty four is one that they can pick up and play and. And uh, on the you know on the new Switch collection that has them all, I guess they've played Mario sixty four and got farther than I ever had before this podcast. So clearly, yeah. it is a it is a game that uh, 
is somewhat timeless. And, and I feel like the original Marios are timeless, but maybe that's because I'm an old man. Uh, who really knows? But um, do you, I, I'm taking, I'm assuming then that you've continued on, you've played the later three Marios up to and including Odyssey. Oh yeah, I've played all of them. I have them all. Um, like a uh, 64 I have on the DS and I have the new uh, collection as well, along with the original 64 version. But yeah, I, uh, I loved all the 3D Marios for the most part. Um, definitely Sunshine Galaxy and 3D World kind of snuck up on me. I wasn't expecting too much out of it, but uh, I ended up loving that one. Yeah, I think 3D World's kind of the, the one that's that meets the two because the 2D Mario's that have continued on still feel like older Mario's and all the 3D Mario's feel more more like this Mario 64 kind of level design and game philosophy uh, where Mario 3D World kind of mashes both of those together pretty well uh, and I also played through a lot of that with my kids that was a, a good time I enjoyed it thoroughly we got through you know all the collectibles in those um, I have not finished getting all the collectibles in Mario 64 and we will discuss that uh, with the, <laughs> when we get to the actual episode itself but I, <laughs> I, I did make a valiant effort at doing so and I did finish it uh, so I do feel like I have a lot I can say about it uh, that, that I was I would not have thought before before I would have thought yeah it's Mario but it, it's got a lot to offer and I'm very glad you picked it um, so thank you for recommending this game John if everyone wanted to find if anyone wanted to find you on the internet is there a place they could go or do you choose to stay off I choose to stay off for the most part uh, just you can find me on the discord uh, uh, with uh, J King is my tag uh, for retrovaniac discord I'm on there a good bit uh, just talking about random things if anyone ever wants to play anything uh, and I have free time. I'm up to play uh, whatever. All right. Well, yes, if you want to join us on our Discord and, and find John and everybody else, the link is always in the, the description of the podcast, but also on Retrovania.net, which we'll always talk about at the end of the show. But thank you for coming on, John, and we will talk about Mario 64. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, I love the podcast, and I hope there's many, many more coming out. Thank you. So as I discussed with John, my, and I, I've mentioned this on the show too, but one of my gaming shames or, or, or secrets is that I've never really played Super Mario 64. I, I, I was working in a store when it came out. I, it was one of the two launch titles for the Nintendo in the United States when it came out. So it's like, how would you have had an N64 and not had this game or not played this game? And the short answer is, uh, this game came out, this whole system came out at, at the right age when I decided that it was cooler to go out and party every night than to buy a new system uh, that only had two oh, games, did. one of which I wasn't going to rush out to buy. So I did not play Mario 64 until, I mean, other than the demo in the store, until way later. You, you played yourself on that one. Well, I did. And in the long term, I probably did more damage than good. Uh, but I did not really play Mario 64. It's one of those games that I've had sitting on the side thinking, you know, it's been out for every console. They have it again on the Switch. They have it uh, on the Switch twice over. You can get it in the Mario collection or, or the N64, you know, uh, expansion pack collection. Like, there's there's many, many different ways to play this game. And I had it on the N64. And yet, other than the first level of this game, I've never played this before. I'm assuming both of you do not have the same situation. I vividly remember when this game came out. I was in second grade, and I don't remember his last name, but there was a classmate named Jonathan who would imitate Mario hitting lava <laughs> in the classroom, and it was hilarious. This game was a huge part of my childhood. Yeah, I was in high school. I, I think I, I 
like my junior year, I think. And this was one of those games I when I first saw it at, at like, you know, a kiosk at Toys R Us or, or videos at the game stores. Like I just I couldn't believe it existed. Like I had a PlayStation, you know, it wasn't like the first time I'd ever played a 3D game. But just seeing Mario 64, like it was the first time a game had ever successfully made it look like you could just do anything in these levels. You could go anywhere. It's a big playland, basically. Big make playland. But it was something that I wanted more than just about any other game I've ever played in my entire life, even Street Fighter 2. And it was enough to make me get a job at McDonald's. A job that I had for two days. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. But it was, it was there that that was legit. The reason why I went and got a job was so I, so that I could afford a Nintendo 64 and Mario 64, just because it was, it looked so cool back then. I, I don't know how you managed to not play it because it was, it was a force of nature when it came out back then. I can only assume it's two things. One is that again, I was already like full blown, like I'm going to play the PlayStation. I only want to play like cool adult games. So I was just playing fighting games and other stuff with my friends. Also, when I did play the N64 later, when more games came out, because again, there were two games at launch, Super Mario 64 and Pilotwing 64, which I actually liked Pilotwing 64. Uh, and I would put that on when I was in the store and play it all the time. I This was on the demo. So I heard this game all day long. I played the first level over and over again just to kind of check it out a little bit. And I was like, yep, it's a it's a 3D Mario game and it's done pretty well. But then as I got older, it was one of those things where it was like, this game is blocky and ugly, and I don't like Mario games in general, and I'm not going to play these games because I am too cool for Mario. Like, it was the dumbest thing. I totally stand here uh, and say, I've done this with several games where I just haven't played them because I've I decided I'm just not going to, I'm not going to like it. It's a game that's targeted at kids. It's a game that's not serious. And then you finally get a chance, you know, 30 years later. When, some, when somebody requested on your podcast and you realize not only were you wrong, that it has a lot more difficulty than you think it does and you're getting your butt kicked on, quote, a kid's game. Uh, but I never got anywhere in this game. Like, I thought playing the first level, I had kind of seen it all. I've seen what this game has to offer. It's a 3D Mario. Great. I'm going to move on. I, I can't explain it. The, the things that this game does are the same things that I like Mario Galaxy for, even Mario Odyssey. Like, this is the first truly 3D Mario game that has that kind of mission-based level design. Instead of just being a standard level with some collectibles, you have all these, you know, specific missions in each each world. Uh, there, there's 15 maps plus the overworld, so 16 maps total, I guess. And in all of those maps, except for the overworld, every time you go into a level, it gives you like a a little clue of what you're supposed to do. And sometimes it's very simple, like collect eight red coins. But other times you have to actually figure out like the riddle of what the level means. That's what they've done in Mario Galaxy. That's what they've done in, in Mario Odyssey, like I just mentioned. Like this is the first Mario game that has like the modern day Mario philosophy. And I totally just brushed over it as I don't care for this game. It's blocky and the camera sucks. Uh, I mean, I'll admit I was wrong. I've, I've said it once or twice this episode alone. Uh, this game clearly ha- is a classic game for a reason it's been put out over and over again for a reason and i would bet if you go back and look at hardware sales of the nintendo 64 for the first month if it's not one-to-one it's as close as you're ever going to see to a launch title to a launch console that will it ever exist 
I, I couldn't imagine it being any other way. I mean, what the launch titles were basically what was it? Mario sixty four Pilot Wings. That's it. And uh, that was it. That was yeah. it. There are other games come out later. Cruising USA came yeah. out a little later, and Blast Core and some other stuff. But that was all in the first few months. You don't realize how far apart that was. Like this yeah, was a so game that was, came out. It was like Mario sixty four was was what you got when you got a Nintendo sixty four, especially if you got it at launch. Uh, my friend actually got uh, before I could get mine. This guy, one of my friends in high school, he had uh, an import Nintendo 64 and he imported Mario 64 and uh, Wave Race, I think. And I went over to his house exclusively to play that because I actually couldn't stand him in real life, but I really wanted to play Mario. <laughs> and like going over there and playing that was it was just so cool. Like, I mean, yeah, that was that was what you had to have whenever you played it, you know, whenever you wanted to load up something else. It was like, ah, that's fine. I'm going to go. But like Mario 64, if, if you had a Nintendo 64, that's that's what you had to have. Now, I know we were uh, in, in our teenage years, I guess. Uh, but Celeste was was a little bit younger. Did w- when did you actually get to play Mario 64 for the first time? Was that something? Did you get your Nintendo 64? Or like, did your dad get it for Christmas or, or something like that? We actually used to rent Nintendo 64s from movie galleries. Oh my God, we- you're one of those people that did that. <laughs> I always, I always wanted to do that. Like I always wanted to rent like a Sega CD because I never got to play one. That's I, I always wanted. To, someone said you could do that once when I was a kid, and I was like, No, you can't. That's illegal. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, my parents have three daughters, and I guess we were super expensive back then. We're probably still super expensive to some degree. But we used to rent the Nintendo 64 system from there before eventually buying one. And I think we, when we bought one, I think it was like 1998, and Ocarina of Time was the first Nintendo 64 game I owned. But I first remember seeing Super Mario 64 at some older cousin's house, and I was just blown away. It was Mario. It was 3D. It was so colorful. I don't know if that stands out to you guys, but the vibrancy of the colors in the game, it's beautiful. It it is. I mean, it's something you don't really see too much these days. And especially for back then, like I said, I had a, a PlayStation. So again, I'd play 3D games, but this looked very like more solid and just I, it's hard to describe that, you know, the first time you ever saw a Nintendo 64 game, it was just, it may not look as good technically as like PlayStation 3D, but at the same time, it, it just felt so much more like solid. Like with Mario, you could just run around and, and do anything in it. And just the way it looked, the way the, the levels were, were created, everything about it, 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 it really felt like it was, it was overall just a, a magical experience. Uh, especially for back then. So, yeah, I guess you can't really tell that that we all really like Mario 64. <laughs> well, and it's it's not a secret. I think it's more of a secret to say that I hadn't played it. I think if one of us is coming going to come in here and say, you know what, after playing it again, this game is terrible. We'd, we would have to know something is wrong with them, or they, they'd have to have a really, really good reason. I mean, it's not a perfect game by any means, but it is definitely way better than I gave it credit for before I played it again for this podcast. So, uh, the... I feel dumb even explaining the concept of Super Mario 64, but I figure there's got to be at least one person like me who played it once a years ago and then thought, I'll get back to it someday and never did. So this is the first truly 3D Mario game after the, the three NES Marios and then the Super Mario on the Super Nintendo, Super Mario World. This was the next game in the series, and it's the first one that goes away from the standard um, 2D side-scrolling levels. Yes, in, in some of the other games with like the ghost houses and stuff, there are some 
multi-directional levels, but it's still essentially a, a standard 2D platformer with some maze elements, I guess. But this is like, after you get through the opening section, which is outside of, of Princess Peach's castle, of course, the, the story, not that it matters, but uh, Koopa is taking the princess captive, what a shock, and, uh, and has locked her in, his, in her own castle, and you have to go and, and save her. And the only way to do that is to collect a bunch of stars that will open certain doors in the castle, uh, letting you further and further until eventually you can save her. Um, after you get through the castle and find the first level you can go to and all, you realize that each of these levels, and as I mentioned before, there's 15 total levels that you can go into, are each individual little open world sections. They're bigger than you think they would be, and at the time, I'm sure they were mind-blowingly large, but they're still pretty large now considering uh, that, that they're kind of open playground areas. You can do more or less whatever you want in those areas, and in order to make the game interesting, instead of just having every level be, you know, find the end and get the star or find the end and find the exit, like a, in a traditional Mario game, each of these levels has a series of objectives that you need to meet. And sometimes it is as easy as collecting so many little widgets, well, red coins in this case, or uh, get 100 coins, you get a star in every level. Uh, but they also have individual missions. So the first level is bomb on Battlefield. It's a pretty standard, like... There's a kind of mountain in the middle of the map that you can climb around and you get to the top and there's a giant Bomom, King Bomom, who challenges you to a fight and you have to learn, like in every 3D game, the key to boss fights in this game and large fights is to run around in circles so you get behind a guy and then you can hurt him. In this case, you run behind the giant Bomom and Mario in Super Mario 64 has, has a few more moves than the traditional 2D Mario. Uh, you can jump great. You can then use that to jump on enemies' heads, which for most enemies still does does damage and is how you would be able to take that out. But the other thing you can do with the B button is you can just push the B button over and Mario will punch. Uh, he also will grab things. If he's right next to him, you can use the B button and he will pick things up and in some cases let you throw them in, at other objects. So you can pick up blocks and throw them at enemies. Or in the case of King Bomom, you can literally pick him up and throw him down on the ground. You do that several times and he explodes and leaves a star there for you and you collect your first star and you realize, wait a minute, this is going to be a lot more than I expected, because every, once you go into that same level again, it's a different objective. It's not find King Bomb anymore. You can do that, and the invisible star will pop up and end your level, but you don't get anything else for it. Uh, you have to figure out, based on the clues, what to do in each of these levels. And and as a kid, I'm not even as a kid, when I played this the first time, I didn't appreciate that. I thought it was lazy. I didn't like that as a design for a level. I wanted a beginning of a level and an end of a level. And if it had boss fights, great. Make it a big, hard boss fight and move on from there. Uh you know, as I mentioned, I love Mario Galaxy and Mario Odyssey and, and the newer Marios that do this same concept, and I like them for that reason. I don't know why this never clicked with me before now, that that's exactly what this game was doing, and for the first time. I, I think it's hard to really explain just how like genius it was at the time when, when Mario 64 came out, how, how they took classic Mario and turned it into this. There was no between between this, you know, between like typical 2D Mario and, and 3D Mario, it was a complete shift. And I, I don't use the term genius too often, but this, my motto and, and him doing this was, it was incredible. I'm sure there were a lot of other people involved with this who, who molded this and shaped it into what it is. But being able for the very first time, because we, like I said, we didn't have anything else like this at the time. We had some 3D games, but they were just basic. You know, I, the closest this anything came to this was like Bubsy 3D, and it came out like a few months after this. So, well, it came out here, I, I think, in the U.S. before it actually, uh, Mario 64 made it over here. But still, 
Like you can just compare Bubsy 3D to Mario 64 and you can see it's years and years ahead of anything else that was even trying to do this at the time. And, and just being and sitting down and, and playing Mario, like having all those flips and moves, basically, you know, maneuvering in this 3D world, the Nintendo 64 controller was literally made for Mario 64 and nothing else really. It was just like, what do you need to play this game? And my motto was like, okay, make this kind of controller. And that's why it is like it is. So it was basically an entire system built around this game. And for as crazy as that sounds, I, for once I'd say, well, for Mario 64, I, I think it was worth it. I think it it panned out as good as you could possibly imagine it could. Did you bring up the painting mechanic? I, I, I didn't. I thought about that as I was talking, but th- that's a very good point, Celeste. Why don't you explain the paintings? Uh, that That is probably the coolest thing in a video game I've ever seen, where to access the levels, you have to jump into paintings, and there's this ripple effect. And then Mario jumps through a painting and that's how you appear in the world. And there's a ripple and it fades to white. It's, it's amazing. I love it. And I think there are some fake paintings that you try to jump in them, but nothing happens. Mario just <laughs> slams into the wall and injures himself. But also with the camera mechanic, remember Lakitu from the other Mario games, the one who shoots out those little spinies, he's documenting Mario's adventure. Yes, I do think that's cool. They show you that in the very first section where you can kind of, it, it tries to explain the camera to you and it kind of pans back and you can see it's a Lakitu holding like a camera on a, like a fishing pole style thing. Yes, I, I thought that was very cool too. There's little little neat touches uh, that kind of are spins on the old Mario characters to make them fit in this game. Um, speaking of the painting mechanic and the ripple, yes, there are paintings you can try to jump into. In fact, one of the, the later sections of levels, because they're kind of gated by how many stars you collect, um, has a bunch of paintings. You have to figure out which ones are actually levels. But then there's also a couple areas where you will not know exactly where to go, and then you'll run to a wall by mistake, and you'll see the wall kind of ripples, and you're like, oh. And then you jump into that, and that's a level. Like, that ripple effect is pretty neat, and there wasn't anything else really like it at the time. I mean, the, the like Jeremy mentioned, the 3D games that were on the PlayStation and the Saturn at this point were... You know, like racing games were 3D and sports games were 3D and, and they had some stuff that was in 3D, but it wasn't like this big open world and made it work. In fact, on the PlayStation, as you were talking about other games, you know, Bubsy, sure, that, that, that was an attempt at a 3D open world, but that was really bad. But like Crash Bandicoot, which is also not an open world 3D game, but it's kind of a good 3D platformer, uh, was, was new even when this game came out. This game came out uh, when the system launched at the end of 1996 and... Uh, Crash Bandicoot came out literally the same month that this console did. So I was like trying to think like, oh, other other PlayStation games have really good 3D, but one, they didn't, not like this, and two, it was exactly at the same time because they knew it was coming. This this was right in Japan. It was heavily push, pushed in magazines of what was coming. So uh, Sony had to come up with something uh, to to show off that it can do 3D too, and so it made kind of a more streamlined. 3D thing that plays really well. I like Crash Bandicoot, but it's not Super Mario 64. It's more like what I thought a 3D Mario should be, which is levels that have a start and an end, and you do have all the standard, you know, running and jumping attacks like Mario does, but it didn't take that next step that this game did, where it really opens everything up. Uh, One of the big things I noticed in this game was the power-ups are totally different than in the earlier Mario games. Uh, You know, now it's kind of easy to be like, yeah, so what? But at the time, in... All the original three Super Mario games, plus Super Mario World, plus Super Mario Land, the Game Boy and stuff, all those games had kind of the traditional 
Mario power-ups. You start small, you get a mushroom to turn big, you can get a fire flower to spit fire. Then, you know, in, in like Mario 3, you get the raccoon tail, all this other stuff. But this game doesn't have any of that. You don't have fire flowers or mushrooms. You start out as one size Mario. Um, instead of worrying about, you know, getting hit to become small or making sure you have a power-up at all times, you have a life, like, wheel. It's eight segments of a pie, and that's your health. Uh, you get to fill it up pretty easily instead of having to... Uh, find like a spring or something that's going to fill up your health or whatever. Any coin you grab will give you back a piece of your eight pieces of health. Red coins give you back more. Uh, if you end up um, going into the water and then going back to the top, that same health bar is also your breath bar for being underwater because Mario can swim in this game. So when you are low on life, if you're in an area with water, just jump into the water that's deep enough for you to swim and go back up to the top, you refill it up again. I thought that was kind of neat. At the time, I didn't like it. I thought it was, again, kind of goofy and not what I expected of Mario. But playing it through this time, especially since the levels are kind of open-worldy where you do have to explore, I liked having a lot of ways to fill your health up, but still the health meant something. You had to make sure you were being careful. If you got down low enough, it would start like making a tinging noise and you had to make sure you had some health somewhere or find a coin or something, or else you're going to lose the progress you made towards earning that next star. Um which I thought was really cool. So the only power-ups in the game are kind of unlocked as you play. They aren't there from the get-go. Uh, in fact, in some of the early levels, you'll see like these green, uh, blue, and red blocks that are see-through-ish. But as you, as you explore the mansion, you'll find these um, kind of like, like giant question mark blocks, basically, that have those colors on them, and the level explains how to use each of the power-ups. So you can unlock those three power-ups. Once you've hit that plunger once, it unlocks in all the old levels you've already done, plus all the new levels. It makes those blocks solid. You can earn them. So the three power-ups, which I liked because at this time they were all more or less new. One of them is a twist on a classic, I guess. But the other two are new. So there's the uh, Mario Flight Hat which is the one that's on the box. It's got little wings on the side, and it allows Mario to, if he jumps off something high or does a triple jump, to start kind of gliding around. Uh, he can use air currents and stuff to go a little higher if he finds them, but otherwise you will glide around until you eventually reach the ground or your hat runs out of power and you fall to your death if you're not on top of a, uh, a platform. Uh, the second power-up is an invisible Mario, like an invincible invisible Mario. It makes you look like you can kind of become... Uh, like vapor almost, and then you can run through certain grates, but it also makes it so you're invincible to enemies. You can kill them almost instantly. And then you have the Metal Mario, which makes you you look really cool first off. There wasn't really an effect like this that I remember seeing in a game uh, before this where it really is that kind of shiny wrap around on your character. Um, but that makes it so Mario is invincible. He can run through any enemy. Uh, you can also go underwater and into like, areas that are filled with like poison gas and they don't affect you. You can walk at the bottom of, the, of water instead of having to swim. Uh, it, it's, it's neat. Those three power-ups are all different than what I'd seen before. Uh, for the most part, though, I will say on my first time of getting all of them, I did not like these power-ups. It took a lot to learn how to use them properly. Don't forget about losing Mario's hat. If you lose it, you're more susceptible to damage. Yes, there are certain levels where you can lose it. I, remember, I know on the, the the mountain level, there's like a mountain where there's breezes everywhere. The, the hacking blow off also a monkey can steal it. Um, I, I didn't only have that happen a couple times, but I do think that's a neat mechanic. I did really like the when it introduced the flying mechanic. Finally, like that was pretty crazy. You know, the the whole time you're playing the game, you're just like, man, I wish I could just fly around this level, and then it actually lets you do that later on. And it, it's not the best mechanic of all the things I think. I don't I, like you. I don't think this is a perfect game today. And even back then, you know, it had its problems. I, still, the camera's kind of a janky mess at times. Um, but yeah, like 
that the flying i i could never get good at that i know there's some people that can just fly around the, these levels nonstop and and have no issue with them but i i was just never never that good at, at using that flying mechanic it was really cool though to to see everything that's you know from from a top down view and stuff like that but uh, it it's just uh it never seemed to work right for me mentioned this game has an overworld that's the, the castle itself and it has 15 individual levels i think they're all different enough that it's worth at least mentioning them we don't have to go mission by mission i think that's a little uh, a little too much there are uh, six mission stars in each level and again one of those for each level is earn eight coins or whatever um, but then there's also a star for each mission to get uh, 100 coins as soon as you earn 100 coins the game freezes for a second a star shoots out you can grab it but then you can continue on whatever run you're going for for your other star so each of these levels has seven stars there's also 15 stars hidden in the castle uh, that includes the stars that are in the areas where you earn the power-ups because there's each of those have eight red coins you can earn to get a star there uh, plus there's somewhere like you can find toads to talk to in the castle some of them give you a star there's a uh, there's a rabbit that runs around in one section you have to grab him he gives you a star there's there's little hidden stars in the castle you can find like a uh, at the very beginning, it kind of points where one is. You jump into a, uh, a picture of the princess that is in like this little room, and it takes you to a sliding area uh, where you basically have to make sure you go down this slide really fast, getting all these coins, and make sure not to fall off. If you make it to the bottom, you can earn a star. So there's lots of there, there's lots of easier to find stars, including some of those those early levels and the secret stars in the castle. Um, so let me just go through the levels real quick, and if either of you had something that was really notable with those levels, we can discuss them real quick, and then we'll kind of wrap up on the, uh, the kind of what the game, when the game can end, and when the game should end, I suppose. Uh, so the first level, as I mentioned, is bomb on Battlefield. The first mission on that is the one to, to uh, capture King bomb at the top, throw him to the ground a bunch, he turns into a star. Uh, this also is the first level where I thought it was cool because it has pink bombs that when you talk to them they will open up these cannon areas in the map that you can then use to kind of launch yourself across the map and onto some secret areas i thought that was pretty cool i like racing the big koopa troopa in that level that's probably my favorite mission oh yeah that's either the second or third star you're supposed to race from the bottom to the top and make sure you get to the top of the mountain before he does yes and he's huge he's not a little koopa troopa he's a big boy was anyone else just completely terrified of of the giant what's the uh is that spike oh yeah, yeah yeah the 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 chain chomp basically the giant chain yeah chomp. chain chomp sorry yes yes god just walking down that path and having that thing just bolt out at you it was huge too it's i think that's what they did with a lot a lot of things in this game was make them overly large to have more presence or something but yeah just having that thing just come out at you as a kid like even you know a teenager or whatever it, it made me jump pretty good yeah, it's like a perpetual world four from Super Mario Brothers three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the second uh, area map is Womp's Fortress, which is I think I had played this one before because I had a little bit of memory. That one's this one's a lot like Bomb on Battlefield, but instead of just having. Um, the mountain in the middle, it's almost like a big tower. It's a lot harder to get to the top of it, and that's that one has a bunch more. Um, Kind of hidden stars, things you have to do for the missions that aren't quite as straightforward as the first one. I think the first map, Bomb on Battlefield, the star, 
missions are pretty much spelled out for you. Womp's Fortress, they start getting a little more esoteric of what you're supposed to do. Like, one, you're supposed to break certain walls. I, I had to actually look that one up. Even on the second world, I had to look up, what am I supposed to do to get the star? I cannot figure this out. Uh, but otherwise, again, this is another one that has kind of a get to the top and and get a star. The same kind of view as the bottom battlefield, but this one's a little different uh, because it does have a little more options of, of how to find those stars. There's an owl that can carry you named Hoot. How did I not find Hoot? The owl, where's Hoot the owl? <laughs> He's in a tree near Womp's Fortress, and it's <laughs> he comments on Mario's weight as he's carrying him. So he'll carry you, you'll fly around for a little bit, and then he'll gradually start dipping lower and lower, and finally he'll say, basically, you're too fat. I can't carry you anymore. <laughs> I had never even saw this owl, and I just spent the last two weeks playing this pretty hard, and I did not see this owl at all. He's not required, I guess, for one of the stars. I didn't either, but I remember it from like a, a game fan magazine or something, like a, a pro tip section or something like that. Uh, the third map is Jolly Roger Bay. It is a um, kind of a, an underground lake area uh, with a boat floating in it. Uh, that at the beginning is not floating, but after you do the first star mission, it it floats up to the top of the the uh, of the water, and then it, it finds another couple um, tunnels to swim through. And there's like an eel that lives in the in in one. Uh, of these tunnels, you're supposed to kind of avoid him. I, I mean, it's it's neat. That's the first time you really get to work with the swimming mechanic. Um, swimming in this game is not difficult, uh, unlike a lot of, of 3D games where swimming becomes more difficult. I thought swimming in this actually was pretty simple. You jump in the water, and then the A button that normally would jump when you're underwater is your boost button. And other than that, your, health, your, your air supply, while it does go down, and you can watch it go down, Again, because you can refill your, quote, air supply or your health with a coin, as long as there's coins around, you won't drown. Also, almost every level that has a lot of water has air bubbles you can find either by opening a shell or a chest or something. Uh, and then also, if you go to the top of the water, it refills all the way back to full, which for the most part, if you're even at halfway, you can swim to the top no problem to get air and then continue on your way. Uh, this is a very forgiving uh, underwater section as far as air goes. And after playing some other games we've played in the past, I, I appreciated that. It has the best theme music, I think, the entire game. Dire Dire Docks. It's got that nice underwater kind of level music to it that's relaxing or whatever. I can't remember if it's the exact same. But I'm, I'm a giant whore for any underwater level where you've got to swim, whether it's like Donkey Kong Country or anything like that, because, it, you know, you, the game's going to bring out the, the nice chill music. And it's it's usually very pretty. And I was all about that in this one until I got into the ship at the bottom and there was a giant, giant eel's face just staring <laughs> at me and, you know, talking about that, you know, chop earlier, just fucking going at you or whatever. But having that thing come out was, it doesn't really do much to you, but it's, it was just terrifying because I'm terrified of any large creatures underwater. So it was, and, and, you know, on the 64 and, and that level, it was, it was actually fairly realistic for the time and being underwater and stuff like that. So it, that got me pretty good, but yeah, I love that level. It's, it's one of my favorite in the game. I half expected Captain Hook or Peter Pan to jump out because of the name Jolly Roger Bay. Or, or at least like a, a pirate-themed Goomba, something. Yeah, but there was no pirate anything except for the ship, which was clearly a pirate ship, uh, and there are treasure chests, but that's in every level. But still, it's kind of I, I like a pirate-themed level, so I'm always down for that, and, and that was a good one. Loved having to like swim behind the eel to, to get one of those stars. That was, that was really cool. 
Uh, the next the next area is Cool Cool Mountain. Uh, cool Cool Mountain is the last of the four first levels you can get to before you would have to fight uh, the first time you fight Bowser in a boss area. Uh, cool Cool Mountain is an ice level. Uh, it has a bunch of sliding areas and a whole bunch of areas where you have to kind of uh, make some very, very particular jumps or fall to your death. Uh, this game is fairly forgiving about death. We kind of didn't mention it. Uh, when you die, you just shoot out of the painting. You lose any progress you made towards that star, but you can then just jump right back in with full health. Uh, it's pretty easy to get lives in this game. Every 50 coins you collect at the end of a level will give you an extra life. If you find uh, the mushrooms in the level, the, the mushrooms that are in there are one-up mushrooms. You can find those in most levels pretty easily. Uh, also, if you do run out of lives, all that happens is you just reload the game and you start outside the castle. But again, all the progress you've made, every time you're in a star, it saves. So that's kind of nice. It's really hard to lose ground in this aside from you know, a specific star you're going for. But it's not its not like it's too punishing for death. It's one of those games where I kind of like, why I'd even bother with lives? Just just kick you out of the painting, make you do it over again, because that's all you're really doing anyway, uh, up to the point where, you know, new Mario games do that. You don't have, Mario Odyssey, you don't have a life count. You just get to do it over and over again. And if you succeed, great, you clear off the, the, the objective. Otherwise, you go back to the beginning of the map. So, um, Cuckoo Mountain is, the only thing I remember about Cuckoo Mountain from, from seeing it before was the Penguin Race. Uh, it's another race like what you mentioned before with uh, where you had to race up the mountain against the Koopa. But instead, in this time, you're sliding down uh, a fairly difficult sliding area to race a penguin who is large enough that if you are too close to him, he will knock you off the side. Uh, I had this was the first star I really had uh, a frustrating time getting. I didn't have to look up what to do. I knew what to do. But I probably lost a good 20 times on this race against this penguin. There's another very famous penguin in this level. You can toss her off the cliff. Yeah, <laughs> you're supposed to bring her to her mom or whatever. <laughs> so you can be a really good person or you can be a really horrible person. And I think I tried both. <laughs> I could never stand the the slide. Like, I, I'm still to this day, I'm not good at it. It's just, it's kind of wonky the way it controls. And while you're constantly trying to, to get past that ping when it's, it's not my favorite part of the game. I'll say that. I'm not, as much as I'm huge into underwater levels, my least favorite is snow levels. And I was never a big fan of this one, uh, even having to like carry the baby penguin around for one of the stars and stuff like that to get it back to its mom. You know, by the end, by the time I got it back to its mom, I wanted to throw it off the cliff. I didn't actually know you could do that for the longest time. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I am not the biggest fan fan of this one. If if I'm playing Super Mario 64, it's all about those those previous three worlds that we played uh and and i usually just kind of stop around this point like i don't really play a ton of super mario 64 but as far as nostalgia goes those first three levels are are the big ones for me and and this is is, is where it kind of trails off and besides the desert level which we'll get into here shortly uh the rest of the game i i could give or to you know just like well, I, they're fine but those first three are the big ones for me well, after you get through, you don't have to get through all of these, by the way. Each of these uh, gates to get to the next section of levels is a, a fairly obtainable number of stars. I believe the first boss fight is five stars. Like, it's nothing crazy to get to the big star door, and that will have you do your first fight against um, uh, against King Koopa or Bowser, whatever his name is in each game. And his fights in this game are all more or less the same. They have a pretty tough level to go through that's a lot of platform jumps in 3D. Otherwise, nothing remarkable there. Uh, but you get to the fight with with uh, I'm just going to call him Koopa with with King Koopa, and 
in all those fights, he'll shoot fire at you or he'll spit fire balls at you or he'll jump in the air or whatever. But basically, you have to get behind him. You have to run behind him, wait for him to fire his, you know, do some kind of breath weapon or something where he'll stall. And then you can grab his tail by running behind him and hit B. And then you have to spin the remote around real quick or spin with the thumbstick because this is on the N64. Uh, spin the thumb around real stick till he, till he goes fast enough where you can launch him in the direction of these spiky balls you can see kind of off the side of the platform you're fighting him on. Um, I had a real problem getting this down, uh, even up to finishing this game. I still can't say I can consistently get him where I need him to go. I, I ended up having to do is do a bunch of smaller throws that got him close to it till he was so close to the spiky ball that I couldn't possibly miss. And that would guarantee victory. And the good news is for the first couple times you fight him, you only have to do it once. You only have to have him hit the ball once. He will then, you know, fall to the ground and say, oh, you'll, you'll know what get me this next time, and then runs off and unlocks further parts of the castle for you to get into. I don't know if everyone else had a problem with this main boss mechanic with the spinning attack move. I mean, I think it's neat, and no other game had really done that before, but um, I'm not too shocked that future games don't use this exact same mechanic. You know, I don't remember the fighting mechanic as much as I remember people arguing over what Mario says whenever he throws Bowser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I'm going to put a clip of it in here. My kids, uh, who are way younger, they're 8 and 10. They, they were not around when this game was new, but they've played it because, again, it is, it is available on the Switch in multiple forms. And the only thing they knew about the game before then, because it's been a, a meme on Roblox and everything else, was So Long Gay Bowser. And that's not what he says. But it sure sounds like it, and after you hear it once, that's all you're going to hear. And if you've never heard that before, I apologize. I've now ruined uh, Super Mario 64 when you throw him off the cliff. It's only when you throw him off the cliff and miss the ball is when he yells, So long, gay Bowser. Uh, but yes, yeah, I, th I do think that's hilarious. Uh, especially that my kids know it, and they'd never played this game before. <laughs> Your kids are learning the wrong stuff on Roblox. I can't believe this. I can't believe that Roblox would be putting things out there like that. Oh, yeah. No, nothing nothing healthier than playing Roblox all day. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I've never been very good at it. And uh, even if you master the game, it's not the easiest thing to do just because of the way the camera lines it all up and, and everything like that. It, it's it's iffy at best. And I think that's, that's one of the better things about the boss fight. It, it kind of... It's it's a little bit of tension there, I guess. I don't know if you're gonna make it, but it's it's not very good tension at that. So um, it's it's not bad. I, I always enjoyed doing the Bowser fight, the Bowser fight in Mario sixty four. It's 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 not bad, but you know it could have been a lot better, and it did get a lot better down the road. As I mentioned, there's fifteen levels in this game, and all the levels when you pause the game anywhere, it it will show you how many stars you have in each level, and it numbers them. It says, number one, bomb on battlefield, number two, Womp's Fortress, etc. Uh, at this point, when you go, after you beat Bowser this first time, I'm going to keep calling him two different things. Whatever, everyone knows what I mean. Um, you get the key that lets you open the door to the basement. So you go down to the basement, and there is a door at the bottom that will let you go into two different, you know, into kind of two different areas. Uh, one is a, a picture of a, what's clearly like some kind of lava level. And the other is you jump into the floor, which looks like it's you're jumping into a pool of, you know, a black reflective surface. Uh, that is level six. Hazy Maze Cave is the one you can jump into on the floor. And Lethal Lava Land is the level you jump into in the lava. But those are level numbered, I mean, six and seven. I never ha I could not find level five. And that's because level five is 
you go outside of the castle, like the backyard of the castle, and there's all these boos around. And boos, in, like in every Mario game, if you look at them, they freeze. And if you look away, they run at you. But also if you look at them and they freeze, if you're looking straight at them, they become invisible. And you can't do anything to them. But if you can run behind them, and in this game, punch them or whatever, uh, they will explode and drop coins or whatever. But one of those boos drops like a tiny cage thing, and Mario will walk into it and shrink. And that is level five, which is Big Boo's Haunt. It is a, a great 3D level. It's my favorite level in this game because I like those ghost house levels in Mario World. I like the boo levels. So this is instead like a 3D mansion that you can explore that has a bunch of like... I mean, other than booze all over the place, it has like a lot of good kind of puzzle areas where you're not quite sure what to do and where to go. I, I love this level. If the whole game was like this, uh, it would be one of my favorite games of all time. I, I absolutely love Big Booze Haunt. Did you crap your pants when that piano went after you? Yes, I didn't do that, but I was definitely, I jumped. <laughs> I did jump. You go into a room, there's a piano and it, it, you know, I figure, okay, I'll go up to it and I'll hit the B button. Maybe I'll play the piano or whatever. But instead it, <laughs> the piano's teeth become, or keys become teeth and it like jumps across the room at you. And it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty terrifying. Uh, these are, these are really cool levels. I, I think my only complaint about some of them uh, in any of the kind of ghost house levels or whatever is that occasionally it, it does like a fixed camera. And you can't really change it or anything like that. And that's when it gets not not great for me. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, just figuring out the puzzles. Like, more so in, in these these levels than any of the other ones. You know, we're talking like how when you go into the levels, it kind of gives you hints and things like that. And you kind of got to figure it out. For the most part, the game is pretty self-explanatory as to what you need to do to get those you know when you start the level it'll usually pan around or whatever to kind of show you with these like it really does feel like you're trying to figure out a puzzle as far as like what you need to do to to get the star and some of them are actually pretty damn tricky i remember as a kid like there was a lot of them that i just didn't figure out and i was just wandering around i didn't know what the hell i was doing so that super mario 64 guide came in pretty handy back in the day up to this point up through Big Boo's Haunt. I've I had earned all the stars in every level and the hundred stars, you know, hundred uh, coin stars. So all those I maxed. I got through all the levels. I loved it. I was like, I'm 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 figuring this out. This is this is great. Even the hard ones uh, to figure out exactly what they're asking for. I was able to piece together. Uh, there are the next levels. I I after this there are no levels where I got every star. In some of these levels I got one star. In one specific level I have zero stars, and that's because this game only requires you need seventy stars to get to the last fight. Um, there are 120 stars total, so again, there's 7 each stage, plus the 15 secret stars. Uh, once you have 120 stars, it's the same boss, it's not like there's a secret boss you unlock, but you do get a, a slightly different ending, and you can earn some extra stuff. But, therefore, you only need 70 stars to get through the game. So there's a bunch of these that I barely touched, because I found even getting one star in them very frustrating. And, specifically, the last level, I never got any stars in. We'll talk about the rest of these pretty quickly. Um... The, the stage you jump into that's like the when you jump into the floor that looks like it's a, a black liquid or whatever, that's Hazy Maze Cave. That is a lot of uh, underground. Uh, it's like a series of different obstacles. There's, a, there's a, a series of caves that are full of mist, and there's a series of caves where you have to make sure you jump on these little platforms that you actually have to ride the platforms through the level and make sure you jump over obstacles. Uh, there's a series where there's you know boulders running down the the hill, you have to jump around those. It, it's a neat level. It's different than the other ones before it. It's a lot more um, 
claustrophobic kind of as a level. Uh, but I still liked it because, again, I, th- I felt like there were some puzzles to figure out in it, like how to get through that that mist area where the kind of hidden exits were and such. I, I liked that one, but I, there were a couple ones I never did get there. That's the one with Dory, right? Who's Dory? The dinosaur, isn't it? Oh, the yes. Loch Ness the yes. monster? Yes, the Loch Ness monster in that level, yes. That's also the level where they have... Um, the other two special items, the flying hat item and the invincibility, invisibility item, you can find in levels in the castle itself. But inside Hazy Maze Cave is uh, the kind of behind this area with the Loch Ness Monster monster. You can ride him over to the side and it will take you to an area where you can jump in the floor again. And that takes you to where you get the Metal Mario section. This isn't related to that level, but when you were talking about how you don't need all the stars and everything, did either of you ever try to access the final level running up the stairs? And if you don't have enough stars, it's just this infinite amount of stairs. Yes, because the, the door says you can't open until you have 70 stars, but I only had like 55 and it let me open it. So I was like, cool, let me just see what it does. And yeah, you run forever up a, a staircase that never ends. And then when you turn around, even if you're doing it for five minutes, you're only like seven steps up. I love that as an effect. So that was pretty cool. It kind of reminds me of an exercise routine where you've been working out for five minutes and it feels like an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the level that has the lava picture is Lethal Lava Land. It's pretty standard. You can't touch the ground in most places. Uh, you have to learn how to fight these guys that kind of charge you like a bull and you have to, to either trick them into running towards the edge and then you can punch them off or in some cases you can actually just fist fight them and time it right to where you knock them off. It's a neat level, um, but nothing I didn't think that was too notable in Lethal Lava Land. As I mentioned earlier, I I vividly remember my classmate Jonathan grabbing his ass and imitating Mario and making the sound that Mario makes. It's very piercing whenever he hits the lava. Well, and he actually like jump around the room on his ass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he would run around the classroom. I guess if we had like an indoor recess, if it was raining or something and he would do, ah! <laughs> it's my hero. and I hope I can reconnect with him because that's the first thing I'm going to bring up to him now that we're in our thirties. I hope that he, <laughs> I hope that he's married with children and I can bring it up in front of his family. Remember when you completely embarrassed yourself back in your I remember you grabbing your ass in the classroom. Well, and he does it a lot that level, because if you you get hit, if you land in the lava and you jump in the air, unless you can time it right to where you land on another platform, he's going to just jump in a chain and do that two or three times until he's totally out of health. And then, you know, your your level ends, you jump out of the painting, you jump in again. Um, But otherwise, you're right. That that is definitely notable. He's going to do it a lot, uh, especially because some of that level is things that uh, get you know, raise and then go back into the lava. So if you just don't time everything right, you're going to end up kind of trapping yourself. Um, still, I, I, there hasn't been a lava level yet, so can't complain when there is one. I'm glad there is only one, though. That would get very annoying uh, if there was a lava. I, I wanted to, like, point out, like, after... I don't know if you both noticed this or not, but it seemed like after the cave caves levels, a lot of the game shifts over to obstacle courses instead of, like, uh, more of, like, a 3D platformer, like the, the first stages were. And... Like, I, I really enjoy the platforming in this game, but I think that's when this, it really ups the difficulty is, is when it pulls away from that more exploration-based kind of stage into these obstacle course-based stages that require a lot more platforming. And as good as this game is, I don't think the camera and a lot of the physics and the way you interact with certain objects, especially when you're like having to jump off walls and things like that, it kind of falls apart at that point uh, and it can make it very, very frustrating. 
Yeah, Mario's jumps in this are not as clean as they are in the new games for newer games for that same purpose. So you mentioned he has a wall jump. If you jump against the wall and then push away and jump again, he'll jump back. Again, in the new games, he does that. It feels organic. It feels like you're not even thinking about it. In this, it's not as bad as the Metroid, uh, Super Metroid wall jump, but it's pretty bad to get it when you need it to work. Um, also, he has a triple jump where if you jump three times in a row the third time, if you're going in the same direction, he will do like this super flip jump. It's cool, but when I need it to work, it never did. And you have to have a lot of room for it, or you're not going to, you know, you're going to run out of room. You can't turn in the middle of this maneuver. You have to go jump three times in the same direction, and you have to be moving somewhat. You can't just be slowly mocking forward and doing a triple jump. But again, for the time, it was pretty impressive. And I did get over uh, how frustrating that was on some levels. But there were definitely, if you had to do that triple jump on a platforming level with, you know, instant death falls, it did get very, very frustrating, and there was a lot of that. I think Lethal Lava Land is kind of where the game, like you mentioned, becomes more about uh, very specific platforming, and the open-worldness of it kind of goes away, and instead it's just like, here's a narrow path where you can't die. Stay on that, and then figure out what to do next. Find the next narrow path where you won't die. Uh, the, the, the best level for that for me is the next level we're going to talk about, uh, Shifting Sandland, which is the, the standard desert level. It has, instead of lava all over the place... A lot of the level you can see is sand that looks like it's sinking down, like it's some kind of quicksand or sinkhole. And if Mario lands in it, even if you're trying to jump out of it, you probably won't and you will instantly die. And there's a lot of the area where you couldn't even see you're going to be in that sand until you get there because of the camera and because there are like sand dunes. I got very, very frustrated with uh, with shifting sand land. I got a few of the stars there, but as soon as I could move on, I certainly did. Pokies were super annoying in that level. In the quicksand, oh my goodness. There's a, there's a lot of things that are really annoying in that level, but I this is probably the last level that I really like for the most part. I don't know why, because it, it's very frustrating, like you guys said, but like being able to go inside the pyramid and, you know, climbing up it and doing all that other stuff, you know, it's got it's got a little bit of that Indiana Jones flavor to it. And, and I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan, so I I can. I enjoy getting to this point and playing through this level. I'm, I'm pretty good at getting all the stars in it. Uh, but from here on out, it is kind of no man's land for me with Mario 64 because I generally get to this level so I can play through my Indiana Jones stuff and I'm, I'm good to go with Mario 64 because after this, things like, like those obstacle courses and that platforming and all that, unless you're really good at it and want to get really frustrated then that's kind of what you're left with. Besides one level that, that you kind of get to later on, but the rest is is kind of kind of yeah for me. Well, these next four those last five four levels you talked about: Big Boo's Haunt, Hazy Maze Cave, Lisa Lava Land, and Shifting Sandland are the next areas you can go to along with the first four levels to get the next number of stars you need to open the next door, which I think is 30 stars. Uh, that lets you fight the second Bowser fight. Again, same deal. Go through kind of a, a very tough platformy level. But at the top, you fight Bowser. It's the exact same fight. Uh, I think you, it's a slightly smaller arena or something, but you still only have to get him one time into the corner. Uh, once he hits the bomb, he explodes. And, oh, you're, you won't say, you don't give me this next time, and he runs off again. And that also opens up the Dire Dire Docks, which is an under another underwater level. It's got kind of a, a, a submarine in, in one section. I only played this level a couple times, but I did like it. I didn't dislike it, but it's kind of out of the way from where the other levels are, so I kind of forgot about it. <laughs> didn't go back until I was looking at what levels I hadn't finished. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's a neat... I, I like more water, underwater levels. I think at this point, the game kind of looks at levels that happened before and does like a tougher version of each of those levels, I think. And so Dire Dire Docks is a, a definitely a harder version of what Jolly Roger Bay was. 
Um, after Dyer Docks, you can, you know, uh, because you've beaten Bowser, you can open up the next floor, which has Snowman's Land, which is an ice level that I played one time. I did not like this level. I, it has parts where if you walk, go in the water, you almost immediately start taking damage, like a lot of it, very quickly. Um, I, I couldn't figure out where to go when I was there. Uh, there, were, there was, it was just a very, very tough level. Snowman's Land was, was like a much, much harder version of Cool Cool Mountain, and I did not enjoy it. I just remember the snowman. <laughs> That's really all I remember about that one. It, did, did you guys beat this? I, uh, I, just... I beat the game, but I did not get all the stars. Okay, that counts. Did you beat this, Celeste? Like back in the day? Did. My sister did. I watched okay. her beat it. <laughs> that that counts to a degree. Uh but yeah, that's uh I I I think I ended up beating this at one point back when I was a kid with 120 stars, me and my cousin trading back and forth and playing the levels. But I don't remember this level much at all. Like getting to it this time and playing it, I was like, oh my god, I I completely forgot this this stage even existed. And like you, I I can't even deal with it for barely one star. So it's, you know, it's hats got... off to, to previous past me and, and my cousin for being able to to do what we did. Well, Reminds me of Freeze Easy Peak a little bit in Banjo Kazooie with the giant snowman in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I just thought that, that compared to the openness of Cool Cool Mountain, like this had way more like you couldn't go anywhere everywhere i went i was taking damage either it was the freezing water that made it you know really you were dying very quickly or there were parts where you could swim but then there's things shooting at you while you're in there i just i did not enjoy this level uh, i didn't think it was as well made as the as the previous ones but i think it fits in with these other levels because that every level after um you know hazy maze cave is kind of this make sure you're on the right spot and you better figure out where to go quickly and there are enemies everywhere um, you know, I, I'm not saying it's a bad level, but I, it was my, it might be my least favorite level in the game was Snowman's Land. Um, it's a bad level. I'll say that. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll put that out there as, as complete fact that this is a bad level. The next um, level is one of my favorites also, which is Wet Dry World. There are a series of yeah. uh, switches that raise and lower the water level, and that means you have to actually find ways to like, raise the water level to a certain height, then you can push a box over, and then when you push that box over, it floats, and then you can make it go to a higher level. So, uh, Loved it. I love this level. It's all puzzle. The The actual fights are there. You have to pay attention to stuff, and it, you can die. But it was another, like, puzzle-solving level, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah, this one, it, it is a lot of fun. I'll, I'll say that much. It's uh, as little as I played the second half of the game my entire life. I I, I still enjoy this one when it when it comes up. Um, I Real quick, I, I forgot to ask when I was going to say, ask if you beat the game, did either of you catch the rabbit? I did. I caught the rabbit. You can catch him twice. Yeah, fuck that rabbit. <laughs> I did, and I, I actually found out a little bit of trivia, if you'd like me to share. Sure. Go for it. A little yellow bunny named MIPS, M-I-P-S, which apparently stands for Microprocessor Without Interlocked Pipeline Stages. I prefer MIPS. And apparently he is Peach's pet, and he speaks kind of like the white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland, where he says he's late, 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 and he cannot be late for tea. Was he ever in any other game? Like, as the princess's pet? Have I just never noticed he's just, like, in the background of every game? When I was looking at the Mario wiki last night, they did have a comic picture of him. But I can't think of any other games he's in. I know they change it up a little bit in the DS port, and I think there are multiple MIPS. Yeah, in this game, he, he wanders around in the area where the Lethal Lava Land and Hazy Maze Cave is, and he kind of runs back and forth. And that's actually how you're supposed to find, I think... 
the entrance to Shifting Sand Lane, because that's one that doesn't have a painting. It's a wall that when you hit it, it, it wobbles, and you're like, oh, wait a minute, and you can jump into it. And he kind of runs you back and forth to that area, uh, which is what I thought his only purpose was. And then I just got frustrated, and I kind of dove and caught him, and I, he gave me a star. I was like, well, how about that? So, yeah, he's, he's tough to catch, and even when I landed on him a bunch, it didn't work, which is why I assumed that wasn't what you're supposed to do. But you can catch that rabbit in, uh, in Peach's Castle. Um, we just talked about Wet Dry World, which I liked. That's the last level I honestly really liked. I think some of the other levels have neat gimmicks, but I did not enjoy those levels as much. Tall Tall Mountain is a lot of platforming with instant death falling. It has a gust of wind that will blow your hat away. It also has a monkey who will steal your hat at one point. I only got one star in this level because I got so frustrated with falling over and over and over again uh, due to camera problems, but also just uh, I, I couldn't read distance very well in this level. I don't know why. Like I didn't have that problem with any other level in the game, but th this level I could not tell a lot of the time what I could actually jump to and what I wouldn't be able to make that jump to. That's a big issue when the game starts introducing these kind of levels. And it seems like the further the camera is is panned out, the harder it is to figure out where you need to jump. And the camera itself, if nobody remembers, is controlled. It's it's not like modern day. You don't have you know another thumbstick over here to pull the camera around. It's four face buttons, four tiny yellow face buttons. You 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 know you press the uh, the the button on the right to turn the camera right, pan it around to the right or whatever. Up, down, what, however you want to do it, that's how you control the camera in this game. It's not fluid at all. You've basically got to like set it and, and forget it. And that's how you, you get through the platforming in a lot of this game. And that's not ideal <laughs> for, for a game that is wanting you to do the things that it's wanting you to do later in this game, especially with this level right here. It's just, it doesn't work well. And as we've mentioned before, whenever, um, You've got the camera tilted to a certain way. If you hit a wall in, in kind of the right way, that's that wall jump will activate. And instead of you just hitting the, uh, you know, hitting the edge and hanging there and pull yourself up, you will launch yourself off into nothingness. And that's, that, that is the biggest downfall of, of Mario 64. I, there's a lot of people that have mastered this over the years, but coming back to it for this, I can't tell you how many times I died from camera issues and just not knowing where I needed to jump. I do not remember Tall Tall Mountain at all. It, it's just a level where you, you basically are climbing around the outside of this mountain, but there it's all platforming jumps. There's a lot of, of you know, there's, there's like rolling platforms you have to walk on that like rotate while you're on them, so you have to be careful not to go too far to the left or right. And then when I get to the end of those, you have to try to make a specific jump, and I just couldn't tell which way to go. It, it was the only level I ran into where I had this problem, where I just couldn't couldn't quite tell the depth of my jumping, like I said. But uh, that said, uh, you know, it's a tough platforming level. It's not one that I absolutely hated. I, like, I didn't hate as much as Snowman's Land, uh, but I also didn't spend a lot of time there. Uh, the other level you can get to at that point is Tiny Huge Island. Tiny Huge Island is a neat gimmick where you can grow and shrink depending on on jumping into a pipe, and that means the enemies are either giant or, you know, they're normal size, and you're a giant, uh, and the map looks really small. A, a neat gimmick. I also thought, though, that uh, it was not built well for certain parts. If you were large, you would just, like, the platform you had to walk on was too small, and you would just fall to your death a couple times. Uh, I admittedly didn't put a lot of time into this. By this point, I had, like, 68 stars, and I was like, I've just got to get a couple more. I don't want to play this anymore because I... I'd like to get this finished. We're recording this a couple days. Let's let's get to 70 and get to the end. So I didn't spend as much time as I think I should have on Tiny Huge Island. 
because I think it has kind of that puzzle mechanic that that I liked in the other levels, but it also had some really difficult platforming that maybe I was just the wrong size to make work. There's our World 4 from Super Mario Brothers 3. And that's that's what I liked about it. Like, I it just being able to to grow big or whatever and and just stomp around and stuff like that but you're you're right it's it's awkward like it's a cool idea and i'm glad they did it and the first time i saw that happen when i was a kid i was like wow you know i didn't expect them to actually do that here but it is especially when you're big mario it is it is very awkward to get around well unfortunately the last two levels uh, at this point you have another area you can get to the the last two levels in the game the tiktok clock and Rainbow Ride. Both of these are the toughest platforming in the game, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, TikTok clock can be made much easier. You actually jump into the like the top of a grandfather clock, and depending on where the, the minute hand is, if it's at the 12, when you jump in, it will freeze all the moving parts of the clock, which makes it easy. It's the only way I ever got any stars in this game, was making sure I froze the clock. Because otherwise, there's so many things moving around, and the camera, because you're in a clock, it's a tighter area. It's like a uh, not a cylinder, but like a tall rectangle, basically. You're coming from the bottom of the top. And and it's it was very difficult to find the right camera on this. Uh, I had I had a very tough time with these last two levels. Uh, TikTok Clock, I did get a couple stars in. Uh, Rainbow Ride, on the other hand, uh, as far as I can tell, involves you just jumping on these uh, magic carpets that ride on rainbows that you have to then jump over other obstacles. But the camera control in that, plus just the fact that there were like things that shot fire at you. When Mario was hit by fire, either by going in lava or getting hit by a fireball of some kind, he like cartoonishly runs around holding his butt, making a bunch of noise. And if you're on a tiny carpet, it means you run to your death and there's nothing you can do about it. I have zero stars on Rainbow Ride, and I'm not sure if I ever will have any stars on Rainbow Ride. That's that's fine. That's the correct answer. I mean, unless you're you're going hard at Mario 64, these these last two levels are are rough, especially TikTok Clock. That is, it's getting to it. The now playing it for this podcast, it was I was having zero fun with it, and I even remember back in the day, like this this was not an enjoyable experience. I think this is when. I started handing the controller to my cousin more than anything. It's like, here you go. You're good at this game. You you deal with this. And, you know, I, I went in the other room or something, but it is, it, it's just rough. It, it just, it takes all the worst things that we've, we've said about the game and puts it into two levels that just don't work very well at all. Well, I think I watched my sister play this level. This one is another one I vaguely remember. Yeah, it's, it's, Graphically, it's not impressive, but it's just one of those, like, everything is floating. You make miss one jump, even if it's the very end of the level of whatever you're going for for your star, and that's it. You get to restart the whole level again. Uh, I, I was very frustrated with, with both of these levels, TikTok like and Rainbow, Rainbow Ride, but Rainbow Ride specifically, um, I had problems with. Now, I also didn't hate it, though. At no point did I say, like, like for Snowman's Land, I was like, I'm not coming back to this right now. I, I did not enjoy this. I, Rainbow Ride, if I needed more stars, I probably would have spent more time in that level, because I, I like tough platforming. Um, and it wasn't as irritating to me as some of the other levels, but I still have no stars on it. And to prove the point that it's one of the harder levels, uh, I'm playing this. I played this game for this podcast on an actual N64 plugged into a CRT TV. So I'm getting the best possible, you know, situation to play this game. I'm using the actual N64 controller. Um, the other games on this same cart, because you can have four save files. Uh, one has all 120 stars. It must be my brother's. And then my other brother has one that has 110 stars. And the only level that has no stars is Rainbow Ride. So he got through everything else, and he's missing one star from TikTok Clock and the, and all the stars from Rainbow Ride. 
Um, a- after you get 70 stars, though, you don't have to go through and get 120. You can get 70 stars, and that goes to that room with the endless staircase. But the staircase now ends, and you get to go to one more very difficult uh, kind of Bowser platforming level. But although at this point, if you've gotten through Rainbow Ride, it's probably not that difficult. But for me, it was still pretty tough. It's fairly long, and you get to the last fight of the game. It's just like all the other fights where you have to grab uh, Bowser by the tail and swing him around, except you have to do it three times. He has a couple more attacks, and... Uh, after you do the, the second attack where you shoot him into the, or after you hit him twice into the spike balls, he starts making the floor break away until it looks like a star. It's about mm, two thirds of the size of the previous platforms that you were fighting him on, except that it's in got some weird angles around. And then the things you need to throw him into are significantly farther away. So you have to be going at full speed uh, of your spin around attack and then throw it randomly, you know, throw him in my opinion. Uh, uh, in my experience, randomly hoping he will hit that last bomb to uh, to cause him to take his third hit. Then he, you know, basically says, "I give up." He becomes his, the last star you need for the game, and you know, you get an actual ending, which is fine. It's it's a, an enjoyable enough ending. It's a it's a wrap up of a game, uh, and then you could go back then to all the levels you've already beaten uh, and get all the stars and get 120. At that point, you get a slightly different ending, but it's basically the same ending. It's the same last boss, uh, and but you can get the ability to go find Yoshi, who is only in this game if you have 120 stars, and I definitely did not do that. Yeah, he just commits suicide after you talk to him as well. He jumps off into the rapids of the waterfall. Yeah, like that was it. Like of all the the things of. You know, to to get Yoshi, you would think you would be able to ride him around, you know, and, and take him into these worlds and then, you know, exploit things or whatever. That's it. Like, he's just gone. <laughs> it's it's one of the the least exciting thing. Well, it's, it's one of the most disappointing things that's ever happened in a video game, I think, to this day. And I think that's one reason why the rumors of Luigi being in the game persisted for as long as they did until they actually put him into like the, the DS version of, of or 3DS or whatever. It yeah. Was. yeah. Um, but yeah, they, there were rumors for the longest time that you could you could play as Luigi. Uh, but yeah, it, mostly just because Yoshi was was just such a, you know, popcorn fart. There was nothing that that really happened. <laughs> it was it's just it's like, wow, Yoshi's here. Now he's gone. <laughs> it was just such such a disappointment. It's strange too. He just jumps off the top of the castle. And I, I I followed him. I jumped into the little brook where the waterfall is, and I thought I could find him, but no, he he just vanishes. But he's, he's gone. I, I do want to point out with this game, the little details stand out to me the most. The beginning where you can distort Mario's 3D face, that was hilarious. That entertained me for probably way longer than it should have. You can do... Mario, for being a little pudgy, he is very athletic. He can do handstands on the poles and the trees. I thought that was really cool. This is something I like to do with video games. I like to let the controller go idle and see if the characters have any kind of actions. And Mario sure does. He sits down after a little while and starts dozing off. And ultimately, he will sleep on his side. And he starts saying, like, Mamma mia, spaghetti and ravioli. Yeah, idle it's, animations are always fun. Yeah, it's it's like there's so many little things uh, in, that's kind of hidden around in the game, too. Just... You know, even just around the castle, it doesn't look like it's a very big place to begin with, but there's a lot of little nooks and crannies that you can explore and, and find things in. And even to this day, there's there's tons of videos out there that have a lot of Super Mario 64 conspiracy theories, you know, stuff that was that's still in the game or, or 
was it ever in the game or something like that and a lot of them's kind of bullshit but it's it's always fun to watch but yeah it's it's there's just a ton of stuff like that in the game and um, the care and the attention that they put into it is just on another level especially back then it's it's hard for for me to explain just how big of a, a impact mario 64 made when it hit uh, it, if you if you weren't there then you you wouldn't understand like it, it it wasn't just a jump going from a console to console like we get these days it was a complete i hate to use the word paradigm shift it was com it was out of this world and just going into that game and, and playing around with it and seeing all the the little things that they put into it and the attention to details and, and character and, and charm and everything like that it's something i i still love to this day it's it's a one-of-a-kind game there's another detail did you call the princess up until mario 64 did you know her as as a princess toadstool right yeah toadstool yeah yeah princess toadstool and i remember in computer class in elementary school we were playing mario teaches typing which is what we use to learn typing and one of my classmates was like oh you're playing as peach and i was like who then she signs her letter in this game as Princess Peach, and apparently she was known as Princess Peach in um, Japan, but this game officially introduced her as Princess Peach for Western audiences. But in like Super Mario Brothers 3, whenever you talk to the kings and you see their letters, it's signed Princess Toadstool. I totally forgot about that. I, it's just one of those things like what, what, like that's such a difference. You know, going from Toadstool, I guess, you know, seeing what they look like, maybe that was like like a translation thing. It was like, oh, she looks like a Toadstool or something. I don't know. <laughs> I but, thought it was because her little people are called Toads and <laughs> she's <yeah>. the Toadstool. <laughs> yeah, she's the princess of, of the Toad people or something. But yeah, going from that to Peach. I Back then, like, it didn't really even, I, I don't think it, it crossed my mind that that was a thing. It was just Peach from then on. That's what she was. I'm really good at housing useless information. Well, so wasn't I, for some reason I noticed this. <laughs> wasn't she Peach in the Mario cartoons? Toadstool, Princess Toadstool. Wow. Princess, yeah. I'm gonna have to Princess go back Toadstool. and find. I have some of those terrible cartoons on a, on a DVD. I'm sure I can also find them on YouTube. But hey, is this one okay. of those like Mandela moments or something, or like? It's, yeah. <laughs> no, she's Princess Toadstool, and she's a brunette in the cartoons. Yeah, I do remember that. That's why I was super, super like weirded out when they started putting uh, what's her name? Date is it a uh, Daisy? Girl with the, the girl with the brown hair later. Princess later Daisy. Mm -hmm. Daisy, yeah. I was like, that's just old Princess Toadstool, isn't it? No, it's a completely different short hair. hair. Yeah. And I need to know why is she baking? Because I feel like because she's a, unless it's a hobby of hers. I love baking, but I don't know. It seems like too common for a princess to do. Maybe there's not much to do out in, in you know, Mario mushroom land. land. The Mushroom Kingdom. Mushroom Kingdom, there we go. <laughs> she bakes in Paper Mario, so... Maybe she just enjoys it. That must be what it is. There, there's nothing wrong Anything with baking. I like to bake. This game. So I think, I, I don't even think we need to say if we recommend this game. I think generally, I have to say, I'm a fool for not playing this before. It's deservedly the classic that it gets credit for being. And if you like the 3D Marios with the missions, I mean, this is what started it all. This is... The fact that this is one of the two games that launched the system and going back in all these levels to do the missions would have kept me busy for forever, not forever, but for, you know, more than enough time for them to come up with more games. You know, Pilot Wings was a similar kind of game. You have all these little missions and stuff, and that never bothered me. But for some reason, in a Mario game, it did. 
but yet that's what would have caused me to to have put tons and tons of time into this, which I'm sure everybody else that had this game must have uh, if they got through all these later levels and found all the stars, because there's some real, real difficult platforming that was borderline controller-breakingly difficult. I was going to say, like, you you actually played this on a Nintendo 64, a for realsy Nintendo 64 with oh, yeah. that controller, and that's probably the worst way you can possibly play it these days to, to make a good impression on anybody that's not played it. So I'm kind of surprised that you ended up liking it as much as you did. Well, the controller feels like it was made for Mario, like you said. I think that's that's actually pretty correct. Uh, and also, I, I did start playing other games on the N64 when I was streaming on Twitch more often. So I was kind of used to the bad N64 controller again. I, I still can't say I'm a fan of it. I've grown to kind of ironically like it, I guess. But I still think it's maybe one of the worst controllers ever made. I, yeah, I, I can't I can't ever get behind that controller. It's fine for Mario 64, but it is uh it's it's just not designed very well for for much of anything else. But I I, I do think the 3DS version, I, I know a lot of people will probably just like scream at me for saying this, but I think it's an actually like really good version of Mario 64. And it cleans up a lot of things, gives you some nice quality of life things to go along with it, and and also gives you Luigi to play around with and that's that's a fun little thing that that they've never really done anywhere else except that version of the game. Well, like we said, you can play it now on the Switch uh, Nintendo 64 library if you have the expansion pack, but also on the Mario All-Stars collection they put out for it, if that's the name of it, uh, that had this and Galaxy and uh, and Mario Sunshine, a game I've also never played. What, really? You never played Mario Sunshine? Nope. Never played. I've never even tried it. Well, you might, you might get frustrated. I mean, it's fun. It's beautiful. It makes you want to go on vacation, but it's a little, it has, it's a little tricky. Yeah, it's that one's, and you think Mario 64 gets tricky. This one, Sunshine is a bitch. Like, it's got some cool levels. Those, those first few levels are pretty fun, but like, it, it gets rough. You can ride Yoshi in it, though. You can. They, they at least brought that one back for you to do and, and not definitely like commit suicide. So you got, well, maybe that's around. where he went. <laughs> He's like, I'm tired Plaza. of this game. Let's get the fuck out of here. Let's go over here. He wants to go on vacation with all his other Yoshi friends, and he just floats down the river. That's our thoughts, as if anyone needed them, on Super Mario 64, a game requested by John through our Patreon. So again, if you want us to cover your game, the best way to do that is to join our Patreon. Uh, the link is always in the comments or the description of this podcast, but also on all our social media sites. Or you could go to Retrovania.net. Not only is there a link to our Patreon, but also our Twitter and our Facebook and our YouTube channel and everything else fun that we do Retrovania. But at the very bottom, the most important thing you'll find there is a question form. You can put any question you want in there, along with some information on who you are and your email and such, and then we will answer those questions on the show like we're going to do right now. And Jeremy has advised me that we have quite a few questions in general in our queue. We do. We've actually got far too many uh, to the point where we probably need to actually do a, a show dedicated to just answering some of these uh, proof positive because um, this first question I'm actually going to ask is, Part of it is from is asking advice for someone that took a trip last month. So let's just get on with this one <laughs> and give some uh, belated advice to a, a person from been in Illinois, been in Illinois, 
Uh, he's wanting to know about first-party games. In your experience, do you think it's accurate to say that first-party games are the best-looking or best-optimized? Op Nintendo, for instance, has a habit of making fantastic-looking games on their own consoles. I'm thinking of Mario Odyssey on Switch and other Nintendo classics, or how Sega created and made great use of the lock-on technology for Sonic 3 and Knuckles on the Genesis. Do you think that the... Blah, do you think that first-party games have a big leg up compared to the others? P.S. I'm making a trip in mid-May, going from northern Illinois through Chicago and through Indiana to Fort Wayne. Can you suggest or advise me on any good food or chains to stop at? I entrust myself to your teachings. Well, that's unfortunately an area I'm not extremely familiar with food-wise. I, I did uh, go through uh, Indiana and, and Chicago playing with Subtastics. But we really ate whatever people there told us to eat or what was easily accessible to the venue. So I'm not the right person to ask on food options. I don't know. I had Chicago-style pizza because that's what you get in Chicago. It was good. I don't know. Uh, Lou Malnati's was excellent. Um, as far as the actual question, I think Nintendo is kind of the exception left for that, right? For, for consoles out now, Nintendo is the one where if it's a Nintendo-made game, even if it's a game you don't care for, it's probably made very well. I mean, other than Mario and Zelda, which is always great, any Metroid game they put out is going to be excellent. Like, they have the best games on their own systems. I, I don't think that's the case with uh, Sony Studios, in-house studios, or uh, Microsoft. I, I guess they own a bunch of good studios at this point, but, like, I never thought a Microsoft-made game was like, oh, this is incredible, I can't wait. It was always studios they bought or studios that they had exclusive rights to. But that doesn't make them first-party games necessarily if it's studios they have exclusive rights to. So I think Nintendo is the big the big name where this happens. Sega used to be like that. I think you know, on Genesis, if it was a Sega-made game most of the time, at least it had some some pretty pretty good thought behind it if it wasn't a good game. But I think now that's that's less of a case on anything except for Nintendo systems. Celeste, do you have any idea on, on the that question? Oh, gosh, I'm thinking. Um, Good-looking games that are not first-party. Uh, a lot of walking simulators come to my mind. Does that count? Do those count? <laughs> Well, yeah, it was, it was mainly just saying, just, do you think that first-party games are always going to be the best for a console? I mean, like, Eternal Darkness comes to my mind, and that's not a first-party game. I love that game. Do you have any experience going through Chicago to get food? <laughs> yes, I've, I've been to Chicago twice. I have. And there's a ramen shop we really like that's across from the park. If you go in July, you can go to this food festival. I think it's called Grant Park. I could be wrong. I apologize. But I had this ice cream that was really good. And you can go to that burger place that's in Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yes. We, I know um, what you're talking we, about. I can't remember yeah. that. Oh, my gosh. We, we went there. We went to Chicago last July. And they do not have French fries. They only have chips. Yes. So you can get a burger and some chips, and it's pretty darn good. Uh, the pizza's really good. I can eat literally only one slice because the slices are huge. They're they're so thick. That's a commitment. Oh. Like you gotta you gotta go with, just want to end your life if you want to eat an entire <laughs> Chicago style pizza. Um, it's it's delicious. I I love it. Gosh, um, eating is my favorite hobby, but. <laughs> It, it takes a lot. I mean, that's, that's, I don't even know if I'd call that a pizza myself. Like I've had it before and like, I enjoy some deep dish pizza, but if I'm going to be eating deep, deep dish, deep, God damn deep dish pizza, it's going to be more like Detroit style 
where it's just a, a big pan style, you know, greasy mess that you can just feel yourself dying every time you take a bite. Like okay, what Chicago. Is I've, I've never had Detroit style pizza. It's, it's, it's pretty damn good if you like deep dish style, but for like what Chicago style pizza is like, that's, I, I don't know. Like that's just a kind of its own thing. I don't, I don't even know if I'd call it a pizza, honestly. It, when I had it, we went, we played on a Saturday night and we stayed all day Sunday because uh, uh, the bass player for Subtastic has family up there. So we stayed at their house, we went to a White Sox game, but we went there for dinner and it was like, we ate so much. We we're like, we're just going to go back and lay down. Like the, <laughs> it was the heaviest meal I've ever had. It was Yeah, so that sounds about right. I, I couldn't do much of it. Uh, as far as first party games, the first, <clears throat> the first party studios have the most to gain by making those. Obviously, you know, that's what their exclusive games are going to be. And that's why they would put so much effort and money into making those look much better or, you know, something that you can only get on, on those systems. Like, you know, with Sony last of us horizon, God of war, like all of that stuff, even though it's, you know, now coming to PC a little bit, you know, like Spider-Man, Gran Turismo, all of these games are only on PlayStation. So they are going to put as much money as they possibly can into making them look and as as good as possible and and spend way more time and and money on something like that than maybe what a third party developer would when they're you know just trying to get it on as many systems as possible because the first party system, the first party games is what's selling those systems so Nintendo has a lot to gain by that and they're one of the last true first party studios that really it's like you can only play these games on Nintendo systems, Xbox, you can get them on PC, Game Pass, all that stuff. It's all over the place now. PlayStation, like I said, is even starting to go over to the PC section or PC, like Steam and stuff like that these days. But yeah, I, I think you're always going to get a better experience out of a first party game than what you would with uh, you know, a third party or something like that, just because it means it means more to that first party than than the others. You, you going through Indiana? I'm sorry, no. Uh, there's nothing. You got you got Cracker Barrel. That's about it. Uh, maybe some some gas stations if you want to stop at them. Like that's it. But as far as food goes, driving through Indiana, there's like legit nothing. So just sit on the road for like six hours until you finally get to Chicago and eat some good food. One of my favorite things I ever did eat in Chicago was at a random hotel. It's like a restaurant or something. I don't even think it had a name. I can't even remember the hotel, but it was like a uh, a Southern Eggs Benedict, which I don't think they knew what an Eggs Benedict was in the first place. But then they decided <laughs> to make it like Southern, so they just put like a like a one pound biscuit on a plate with like uh, two eggs that were just <laughs> you know they tried to do the eggs. What do you, how do you call that egg when you poached egg? Poached egg. They tried to do a poached egg. It was a complete mess. And then they put like just covered the entire thing with the thickest southern gravy you've ever seen. Like by the time they got it to the table, it already thickened into like cement. But it was one of the it was so good. It was so good. If I could remember where that was, I'd probably go back and eat it. Um, but yeah, uh, that's uh, go eat my imaginary dish that I can't remember where where what hotel it was from and and do that last month whenever you took your vacation. So um, I, I'd also recommend if you're if you're in a city you don't know and they have some sort of baseball team or football team or whatever, 
if you go to the stadium, they always have at least like some kind of regional specialty. And at the White Sox stadium, I guess, uh, I don't want to guess the name because I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, I want to see White Sox play the Orioles and the Orioles actually won, which is, you know, I have to go out of town to see the Orioles win a game. Um, but they, they just do the Chicago dog. And I was like, yep, that's fine with me. Just a hot dog, a bunch of junk all over it. Incredible. I, I've, I've never been to a sporting event. Does wrestling count as a sporting event? I mean, I'm going to say it, it counts, but I still don't know if I count it as a sport. But it does count as an event, and therefore it works. <laughs> so you okay. can also take a tour of Wrigley before the game or on a day they don't have a game. It's like $25, and the tour guide takes you all over the stadium. And if they do not have a game, you can actually go up to the Ivy. It's the original Ivy that was put there in like 1937. You can't touch it. Do not touch the Ivy. <laughs> they will they will make you live there that will be <laughs> well cut off your hands see that would be more interesting to me because i really like the stadiums and stuff like that but like oh it's sitting, so cool I, sitting I, through yeah. an entire baseball game would be something i kind of fell asleep um no offense to chicago cubs fans um i i understand it, it's cool it's america's pastime but i'm much more interested in like museums and taking tours of things and the history of places I did go to the museums, like the the aquarium and stuff in in Chicago. It's a very nice aquarium. It's, it's a it's really beautiful. Cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice place. Uh, but yeah, thanks for writing in, Ben. Hope you had a nice vacation. <laughs> uh, maybe the next time you're up through here, uh, you can you can stop at a few places. Just maybe not in Indiana because there's 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 not much. It's just highway and corn. That's that's all we got, man. Anyway, our next question comes in from Walkover, and he's writing in to ask us to help him. Like, literally, the, the subject line is, help me. Uh, I well, this could be bad, because we are not in the place this, to help anyone. Yeah, this was like a three-month-old question, so I hope you're okay, buddy. Hello, guys. I'm on some red wine right now, like most of us. So I apologize up front for bad spelling or grammar and such. Take in consideration that I'm also from Europe. Don't I started do. collecting maybe three years ago. After a while, I came to the conclusion that I might need a plan or some rules for myself. I consider myself a collector gamer of retro games. But as every collector probably faces, the amount of games you buy never catches up to the games you actually play. Isn't that the truth? So I made a commitment to myself. Before the year 2022, I promised myself to only play games instead of buying them. Of course, that only worked through January. So plan B is to not buy a new game or console until I play through a game. So right now I'm on the Jeremy P mission to go through all of the Mega Man games. I beat Mega Man 1 through 4 on the NES and 8 on the PlayStation. You, you, I mean, you beat the best one. There's no reason to, to go through anymore. Still can't believe you mean that. I need your help to decide what Mega Man to play next. I started Mega Man 11 a year ago and it really looked promising. But maybe I should take on 5. But then again, maybe I should save the best for last. From what I understand, no. From what I understand, seven's the worst. Maybe take that one on to get it over with. Any advice, please. Love you guys. Uh, Celeste, do you have a lot of experience playing the Mega Man games? Before I give my obviously uh, professional answer to this question, I think I'm going to get kicked off the podcast. I've never played a Mega Man game. Oh, jeez. Oh boy. Oh, you know what? It's okay because. Because if you played the first, or the second or third when you've played at least the first 11 of the numerical Mega Man games, I would recommend highly that you check them out sometime. Mega Man X on its own is wonderful. Um, but but if you're going to talk specific numbered Mega Mans, which I'm assuming is what Walkover is referring to, uh, 
Yeah, five is, is one of the better ones. I think two and three are the best. Like two and three are kind of the pinnacle of the series. Uh, after that, it's not bad, but it's more of the same. Uh, seven on the Super Nintendo isn't the worst, but it is the most awkward playing. I think it is It is not quite as fleshed out as it needs to be. I don't think it plays as well as you'd think it would on a Super Nintendo. Um, it's fine, but it's not as good. If you're going to play a Super Nintendo Mega Man, Mega Man X's world's better than Mega Man 7. Um, I would say if you're trying to save five, then you did one through four, you knocked out eight, you're working on 11, I'd say do 11, then go back and do six, then seven, then five. Unfortunately, nine and 10 are going to be letdowns, no matter when you do them. Nine is kind of intentionally mean. Mega Man 9 is a retro Mega Man that was put out by Capcom after everyone's like, oh man, we sure miss Mega Man. So they said, oh, you do? And they went back to like, let's make it look like Mega Man 2, but be as hard as the original Mega Man. Like, it's cheap. There's a lot of instant deaths. There's a lot of like, you can't read what's coming till it happens. You have to memorize the whole level, it, which is what those old Mega Man games was, but it's to the next level. Also, they got rid of a lot of the upgrades that they gave Mega Man uh, after like, Mega Man 2. So he doesn't have uh, the slide. He doesn't have a lot of the Mega Man moves you'd expect him to have in 9. Um, 9 is very difficult. But I did I did finish 9. I don't think it's a bad game, but for the Mega Mans, it's probably the worst of them. Uh, and then 10 is not bad. 10 instead, they went back to saying, okay, well, you guys thought 9 was too hard. We're going to loosen up. And 10 is fine. But 10 feels more like a bunch of people who like Mega Man design Mega Man levels and then put it together as a game. It's fine, but it's just there. And it looks like an NES game. So 9 and 10, you can kind of do whenever. If you want to do them last, just to say you did them, great. Uh, if you want to do them now, just to knock them out. If you finish 9, you're going to find all the other Mega Mans very easy. Um, but I'd say I'd say save 5 for last then. Because 5 is as good as what you have left. It's the best one of them. Hey, like I said, you already played the PlayStation one. So you're, you're good to go. You just toss the rest away. Uh, no, I, I I do think 2 and 3 are, are very good. Um, but I, I never really kept going with the Mega Man series. Uh, so I can't really give you the kind of uh, advice that Jeremy P just gave you. So I would I would go with what he says because anyone that takes my advice on Mega Man games is probably not going to have a very good time with Mega Man games. Uh, but anyway, uh, thank you for writing in Walkover. Hold on. Hopefully, before we, before what? we continue. Before we continue. One, what? I'd say Walkover, if you've not played Mega Man X, you should play Mega Man X. Forget everything I just said and play Mega Man X. It's excellent. Celeste, yeah. what can we do to get you to try a Mega Man game? Oh, I'm not opposed to it. It's just one of those <laughs> just one of those games I haven't gotten around to playing. So I feel like this question was also very helpful for me so that I know what to look for. So I guess, I mean, I played games with male protagonists, obviously, but especially as a kid, I was very much drawn to games that had female protagonists. I tended to prioritize those. Oh, there weren't, weren't too many back then. No, except fighting games. So I played a lot of fighting games with my dad because you could pick female characters like uh, yeah. the orchid and killer instinct chong lee and cami and street fighter and uh, sonya blade and katana melina and mortal Kombat. but i would like to try the Mega Man games they're on my list well you know if you if you squint pretty hard Mega Man, he's you don't look too he's pretty hot so, I mean, it, you, it, could, <laughs> you could also try the Mega Man Zero series, which is not bad and is, is a female protagonist. I guess if a robot counts as male or female, but uh, 
but but it's not. It doesn't quite play the same as Mega Man. I would say, if if you have the chance to find, and they put them on sale all the time, the Mega Man Legacy Collections. The first one is Mega Man One through Six, the classic NES Mega Mans. It's like for sale five dollars half the time. It's the easy. It's easily the best spent five dollars you're gonna have uh, on a, on a console. Yeah, or uh, that Tron game is really fun. <laughs> I. Ninja Warriors on Super Nintendo is one of my favorite games because you can play as Konoichi, so yeah. I'm all there. Did you play the uh, the remake for Switch? Yes, and um, <laughs> my only gripe, I think I mentioned this to Jeremy P., I had to put it down. I, I was very close to the end, and it carries over the whole, if you stop, you have to start all over again. Oh, so that's that's my only gripe, but that has one of the best soundtracks for a video game, I think. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I love that's one of the better remakes that literally no one knows about. Half the t- most people you mentioned it too, they just think it's a direct port, but it's uh it's a full on kind of remake of the original. It's it's really well done. Yeah, I, I do have it, and they add an Android as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. But that's gonna do it for that one. That is all of our Mega Man knowledge summed up into that one question so we we hope you can can figure something out to do there walk over if you haven't already again i know these questions are, are fairly old at this point and um speaking of old here's a question from our, our good friend Kay, and he has written in to say his top 10 list of pokemon that he would smash uh, oh, and boy. then immediately well then he immediately says just kidding but then also follows up with a top 10 <laughs> list of pokemon that he would smash uh but there's a question in between um and he says, I just bought an Atari Jaguar, a system from my childhood when my parents couldn't afford the Nintendo 64 that I actually wanted. Wow. What a fucking... Wow. Okay. Um, this impulse purchase <laughs> happened because I sold some things and was paid with PayPal. So it felt like the money I had wasn't real. So it was it was okay to waste it. Yeah, that's, that's the right way to think. Yeah, yeah, I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> Systems I've never owned... That I wouldn't that I would splurge on for no good reason include gimmicky ones like the Virtual Boy and the Vectrix. Vectrix. What would you buy if the money you were using was superfluous? Superfluous? Is that how you su- that, superfluous? that sounds right? Superfluous. Is that good? <laughs> superfluous. That's yeah. Thank you. Okay. Nope, not on this show. This show it's superfluous. Superfluous. <laughs> I thank you, Celeste. We are idiots. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that. I like the way that sounds. Um, what, what would you buy if the money that you were using was super, superfluous and you didn't have to justify it to anyone? And then here's his top 10 list. Uh, I'm not going to read all of it, but number one is Cloyster. Wow. He had a list, though. I'll give him credit. He's he put a lot of thought it, into it, Pokemon that he would smash. That's... It's right there. Uh, but yeah, would, what would you, what weird, weird ass system would you guys buy if you had all the money in the world? So, I grew up with only Nintendo systems. So, I mean, my, my dad plays games. He still does. My two younger sisters play games. I still play games. And I'm sure it was like, okay, we have to pick something that everybody's going to play. So we always get Nintendo systems. And I really wanted a Dreamcast. I remember wanting that. And recently I was reading that. I think it's for Resident Evil 2. You can actually see the health bar. On the Dreamcast, is that correct? I don't. I've never played Resident Evil Two on the Dreamcast. I mean, I'm sure they put it out for it, but I always I had played uh, Code Veronica, which did not show you the health bar. 
I am embarrassing myself right now because there's a resident. <laughs> Is it Sega Saturn or Dreamcast? Where Saturn. Saturn had Resident Evil 2 on it. No, wait, what the? F- let me let me check. I bet, let they, me I bet check. they put it on Streamcast too. Let me check. I will look it up. One of them, uh, you can actually see the health bar on the system. There's a little display on it. And I think that's really cool. I never got a chance to play Space Channel 5. I, I always wanted to play that. Um, I never. The only Nights into Dreams game I played was the one that was released for the Wii. I remember really wanting to play the other ones. Resident Evil 2 is actually on the Dreamcast. I did not know this. The Dreamcast had a ton of remakes that, that you would not remember were on there because it was one of those like, yeah, okay, great. And then at that point, I mean, the Dreamcast had such a small window where it was like the system to own. And I love the Dreamcast. It's one of my favorite systems of all time. But it, the, literally the day the PlayStation 2 came out, it was like, oh, and that was the end of the Dreamcast. So that's that's what I'd pick. I also, I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but I really like the name Dreamcast. That just sounds cool to me. It was a great system. Uh, it was it was an awesome little system. So I know he mentioned it in his original response. I've never owned a Jaguar, uh, and it's one that I don't have a way to emulate well because it has one of those whack-ass controllers like the Intellivision where if you don't have the actual controller, you can't play some of the games. But the other one he mentioned on his, on his uh, response... Uh, on Kay's response was was the Virtual Boy. I owned a Virtual Boy at one time for a very short period of time. Uh, I I bought it when it was on closeout. When I worked at the electronics boutique, I got Teleroboxer and it came with tennis. And I bought Red Alarm or Red Alert, whatever the the shooter was. And I thought it was cool, but it, I was one of the people that you'd play it for a little bit and you would have a headache. So after about a month, I was like, I'm never going to play this thing, and I sold it back. Um, I, I traded it back in for like, you know, $14 or some junk. Cause I bought it for 25. I bought it for nothing. So while I know that ultimately I wouldn't use it very often, those games are not currently available to be played in any way or emulated very well. For whatever reason, Nintendo didn't even try to do it with a 3DS. I know it's not the same, but you could get close enough. Uh, I would have loved to have seen a collection of virtual boy games, uh, for the 3DS virtual console or for anything else. And, and they didn't. So for games that I'd want to play today that there's no way I could emulate properly, that's the only system that I would want to buy. And it is ridiculously expensive to find a working Virtual Boy, and then there's only a handful of games for it. I think there's like 45 games or 50 games. Like, it's not much. So you could easily, like, hunt down all those games, and some of them are very expensive. Uh, that would have to be, if money was no object, so that I could play a game that I would never be able to do properly any other way, it would have to be the Virtual Boy. I guess for me, if... Um... I kind of already blew my load on on that system back when I was a teenager with the 3DO, and it wasn't really my money. So I guess that would be superfluous. Superfluous? No, superfluous <laughs> money. I, I I caught it. Damn it! Uh, I you know that was that was the end all be all system for me because that was like an eight hundred dollar system, and somehow I I was allowed to to have that for Christmas, and it was it was awesome. Still have a lot of good memories of the 3DO, but I guess if there's one system that was always just out of reach that I would I kind of wanted was the uh, the Wonder Swan, and mm-hmm. I always heard really good things about that system. There's some really cool stuff on there, but being a, kind of a, a Japan only system, I, I I was I never found any good prices for it. I've never seen it anywhere besides on eBay for ridiculous prices. And a lot of the games go for for pretty expensive prices these days. So 
that one's that if you've never heard of a wonder swan or, or never like even even knew that it existed or anything like that look it up it's a really cool system it didn't do well at all uh for the most part but it had an actual like pretty decent selection of games while it was out over in japan kind of like a neo geo pocket yeah if it you, had third party yeah. support which which a lot yeah. of games didn't it had it has a unique version of ghosts and goblins yeah it was a it's a great little system but uh not easy to find over here and you got to put down, you got to put down some money for that one so that is probably what i would say so uh yeah thanks k for writing in asking about what we would spend a lot of money on and letting me know about your top 10 pokemon that you would you would sleep with that's something i'll never forget it's right here i'm looking at it right now i'll never be able to get it out of my mind so the listeners think, are going to want to know you can't tease them like that I, you guys want to know the top 10? Top three. Top three. How about that? Top three. Hold on. Let me find. Is, uh, I turned off my phone. Number two three. and three are both Grookey. <laughs> top three. I don't know if I'm saying this right or pronouncing it right. Vape, Vaporon? Vaporeon? I, I don't know how you properly say it. Vaporeon. Sure. Uh, yeah, Vaporeon's probably right. I'm gonna Vaporeon. Okay. Uh, number two, Mewtwo. Okay. Not as hot as Meowth, but Meowth is on the list. It's number eight. <laughs> and again, number one, Cloyster. Kind of a, a perfect number one. I'll give you that one, Kay. That's, so You know, I, I don't really want to broach that subject. Let's move on to the next question. <laughs> number seven is Weeping Bell, and I don't even know what that is. I think he just made that oh, up. Oh, you can stop now. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's it doing? Like usually the Pokemon are like name like, like what, what's a weeping bell do? It looks like a plant. Never mind. Move on. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm gonna talk to Kay after this. We gotta get our fan fix going. And we're gonna do one more question here to round out this episode. And it's from who's it from? Well, whoever it is, it can't be a question on having sex with Pokemon. So it's already a better question to end the show on than whatever we just did. Number four is Machoke. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I'm to find this. Okay, I got it. No, wait, I don't. Where'd it go? Fuck. He's going to blah, blah, blah. Oh, Which Digimon oh. would you want up? Okay, never mind. Okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which Tamagotchi? <laughs> <laughs> No, we get really serious when we talk about Digimon sex, so we can't really talk about that. That's here. that's a retrograde after dark for sure. Yeah. Okay. Our final final question for this episode to round it all out, because we we need something to round it out, because that list just just didn't do it for me. It comes from Northern Butcher, and he wants to say, "Keep it up, guys." Hey guys, thank you for replying to my question and making me laugh about beans on toast. <laughs> It's, it's, it's been a while. I don't remember beans on toast. Maybe is that when Billy like lost his mind? Yeah, because I said I never had <laughs> yes, beans on toast, yes, but I had toast under beans. Yeah, it's yeah. a popular Discord topic right now. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, that that did happen then. If you ever get the opportunity to try a full English breakfast, I would highly recommend it. Also, listening to you guys has inspired me to hunt down some retro consoles. I managed to get a Super Nintendo with Super Mario World, Star Fox, and a Super EverDrive with a lot of games on it for $50. And I'm currently playing through Earthbound and Super Metroid as I'd never had a Super NES growing up because I had a Genesis. Anyway, me and my wife had our good friends Will, William and Will, Wilma Bollock's Day 
over for tea and crumpets the other day and broke out some old consoles to keep ourselves entertained. I was wondering what your guys' go-to party games are besides the standard Mario Party or Mario Kart. My personal favorite is Bishy Bashy Special. I don't think that's a real game. Or playing Super Street Fighter 2 Winner Stays On. Still loving the podcast. Cheerio. Please try saying that in British ex- in a British accent as it would make my day. Catch you later. Can you guys do your best Cheerio accent? Oh boy, that is a disaster. That I am not going cheerio. to pretend. Oh, please do that again. That was much better than what I would do. Cheerio. What was the name of the game he mentioned? Bishy Bashy. I'm looking it up to see. Is this a game? It is a game. Bishy Bashy Special. A series of video games by Konami. I've never heard of these games. Never. Is that like a European special right there? Well, I, I would assume it's a probably a, a Japanese special. That is the most European sounding like named game I have ever heard. Like let's let's play a little little of the bishy bashy over here. I have never even heard of these games, but uh, therefore it's not one of my go tos. If I have people over that uh, that want to play games, I mean you know I still pull out Goldeneye. I think Goldeneye is still a fun multiplayer game. Um, the original, uh, well, not the original, but the Super Nintendo version of Bomberman, uh, Super Bomberman is always a hit, always a good one. Uh, it's tough, like Smash Brothers is fine, but I don't really like Smash Brothers, but it's fine for, for what it is. Uh, it, it would have to be, it would, I'm going to go with Bomberman. Bomberman is my go-to for people, uh, it, it's a good, fun, fast multiplayer game. You can rotate people through real quick. It's a good time. Gosh, uh, Clubhouse Games is really fun to play with people. I really like that one. Mario Kart. Um, sometimes Mario Party is really fun. I used to really like to play WarioWare on the Wii with my friends. Oh, man, that's a good one. So much fun. I love it. Oh, gosh. Um, now, I haven't played this in a while, but I went through a big Just Dance with the Wii. I cannot dance. Please. God, no. I, you do not want to see me dance. Um, I tried dancing to a hip-hop video the other day, and my boyfriend asked if I was having a stroke. So, <laughs> <laughs> I am not. <laughs> I am uh, not a good dancer, but I used to get the Just Dance games, and my friends and family members would play it with me. And I think that would be pretty fun to play again as an older lady. Now, I'd probably break something, either a bone or a piece of furniture, but I would play it again. Would you play something like Dance Dance Revolution? Um, I've tried it. I'm not good at it. Um, uh, a high school boyfriend was very, very into it, and I watched him at the arcades. He was very, very good at it. Are, do either of you excel at Dance Dance Revolution? I was way into it when it was on PlayStation. I played a lot of Dance Dance Revolution. Um, I, I mean, Kay, who was on uh, last episode, apparently a huge fan. I, I mean, I look terrible playing it. Don't get me wrong. You look absolutely ridiculous playing Dance Dance Revolution, but it is fun, and I was I was okay at it. I wasn't, like, great at it, but I could get through all the, the regular songs on the PlayStation collections on, on normal, uh, and I had a good time with it. I You know, I don't think you could ever look worse than what you did when you were playing Britney's dance beat on the PlayStation. So, I, well, that, that was a, a choice that I made. You don't actually need to move. Britney's dance beat. <laughs> I just want to get into choice. That was a life decision. <laughs> actually not a bad music game to be fair. Uh, music's not great in it. It's Britney music and it's only like five songs, but it was a neat game. 
Um, I, I really liked music games for a while. Very, very, very There's good some respect games. to Miss Spears, please. <laughs> it had it had Slave. Uh, that's all I remember that was on it. But either way. My sisters and I do have the Mario DDR for GameCube. That is really fun. I didn't even know that existed. There's a Disney one, Oh, yeah, too. it has a dance pad and everything. Huh. Like remixes to popular Mario tunes. As someone that was really into weird like rhythm based games, especially like Donkey Konga, like that. Like I, I was super into that stuff, but I was never into the whole dancing thing. I have, I, I don't know. I have zero body control anyway. So I don't, I don't think it would be a good idea for me to actually get up and, and try to, to do anything with rhythm. But uh, you know, I can press a button or, or hit the bongos pretty well in time or, or shake the, the, uh, the thing. Shake your maracas. Um, yeah. The maraca on the dreamcast. That was fun. Sama de amigo. Uh, but as far as party games for me, God, um, my all time favorite is Power Stone for the Dreamcast. And yeah, it Power really, fun. it really makes me mad that it is not available anywhere else. Uh, it is, it's just such a perfect party game. And if, if you ever want to like, like actually beat up your friends, all you need to do is play Power Stone for like an hour. And you will be like punching each other in the, the throats in no time. Like it is, it's one of those games that it's, you know, we, we talk about Mario Kart a lot, turning everyone violent. Power Stone will, will do that almost in an instant. It, it's, uh, it's worse because Mario Kart, you kind of know going in that you're going to get screwed. The game is designed to give you things that are going to screw you if you're in the lead. The blue shell or the lightning bolt, all the stuff that's there. Power Stone, it's just like, oh, I got ganged up on. Now I'm violently angry at everybody around me. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a lot of that. And if you're really good at Power Stone, you can just take advantage of that. Just holding the other person basically down in a corner somewhere and saying, you know, do you like this? Do you want more? And of course, they they don't. But you just you keep you keep going at them. And uh, soon enough, no one wants to play Power Stone anymore. It's it's really strange. Um, the other one was also on Dreamcast. I think uh, Jeremy Pisa, a big fan of this one, was. Um, uh, the, the fucking cat and mouse game. Choo Choo Rocket. I was literally Choo -choo about Rocket. to say Choo Choo Rocket. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great little game to play with your friends. And that is not one that will, will make each other want to kill each other as much as Power Stone. No, you're I, wrong. I, we we had oh, literal fist fights break out over. What are you Choo -choo doing Rocket. with Choo Choo Rocket over there? Man? Oh, my God. It was it was like once everyone kind of figures out how it works out. Celeste, have you ever played Choo Choo Rocket? I have not. I'm looking it up right now. It is it, it is horrible. a four person puzzle game where the only moves you have it, it's a it's a grid that you play on, and mice come out of uh, these little holes, and the goal is to get them into your own goal to get points. But the only thing you can do is you get three arrows. You can point those arrows any way you like, and they'll stay there until you move other arrow. Like if you you have three arrows, and once you place the fourth, your first arrow goes away, right? And and literally the arrows are like, hey, if they stream out here and they go straight to the right, if I put an up arrow, they'll then stream to the right and up. So it's like you're you're moving the mice like you would a uh, uh, try you're basically just changing the direction the mice are gonna go. Otherwise you just run in a straight line forever. So you'll have this whole thing set up. You'll, you'll make sure like, okay, if, if I turn left here and then right here and then up here, it goes into my goal. But your opponents, if you're winning, will all of a sudden be like, well, you can't have that happen. So then they'll start cutting your stream halfway off to stop the mice from going into your into your like mouse hole. And so it ends up being, if you're leading, that everyone then gangs upon you and changes the stuff around so you can't possibly get to it. Oh my God. It is, it is a game that quickly becomes everyone versus one person if, if that person's in the lead. And then if you actually do pull off still winning because you've tricked them into like, oh, well, I've tricked you because you can't overwrite their arrows, but you can put an arrow next to it. Oh man, 
I absolutely love that game, but it, it was maybe the game that caused the most fights uh, of a video game that I ever owned. Looks like you can buy a stuffed animal of the mice. They put out a version for it for uh, Apple Arcade, which might still be around. I don't know, but it's not the same. You need four people, four controllers sitting in front of a TV, uh, which is what the Dreamcast and the N64 and the Switch even really did well, is is to kind of have that, that group play in the same room. Uh, but but the Dreamcast and the N64 had four built-in ports, built-in controller ports from the get-go. They they made games designed for four players, same room. And those were the best group games. Uh, uh, there was a game on the Dreamcast called Ooga Booga. Not a great game uh, as a whole. The single-player game is not very fun. It just teaches you how to play the individual games. But it was just a collection of party games that were versus party games. And they were super fun. We played that for hours. Uh, on PlayStation, a similar game was called Poi Poi. And it was literally just a game where four players, if you had the multi-tap, would would run around and just throw rocks at each other. And it was incredible. Devil Dice was was damn good, oh, too. Oh, Devil Dice was another game people would get mad about. Not as mad as Choose Your Rocket, but that that yeah. also caused some... Because that's another one where you can easily just like flip over someone else's die and ruin their day. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I love that Also, game. You, you are the only person in, in like the last 20 years that's that said... That's referenced Ooga Booga in anything. I know, like but I, man, we played it for for a solid month, man. Ooga Booga yeah. and <laughs> and Power Stone. Oh, uh, that was those were those were good weekends. It's a great that Dreamcast was just a great party system overall. Like it, it had so many just even if you weren't playing with a group or whatever, you know, it just had so many of those arcade games like Crazy Taxi and and stuff like that where you can just, it was quick. You know, you could just pass the controller around and and see who could get the best score or whatever. Like that, the Dreamcast was just magical. It was just gone before its time. God damn it. And the top 10 games that, that I would like to smash. Number one, Choo Choo Rockets Mouse Hole. So, <laughs> well, how could we possibly top that? No, uh, that's, and that's going to do it. So, I, you know, we got a lot of questions left to answer. And, uh, but still, if you want to write in and, and we'll get to it at some point, go to retrovania.net, scroll all the way down to the bottom and you'll see a really cool contact form. Fill that out. And through the magic of the internet, it'll get to us and we'll read it and we'll embarrass ourselves like we have done for like the last hour or so. So it, you can only win from this. So, uh, again, thanks for writing in. We love all you guys. It's it's always fun to read your questions. And and while you're at Retrovania.net, thinking about your question, just sitting there looking at the forum thinking, man, I know I have a great question. i got to ask these guys. Scroll on up. Check out our Patreon. For $5 a month, you get bonus episodes. This month, we've already done two bonus episodes on Congo's Caper and Survival Kids, uh, both games that we did not talk about on this feed that will never be on the free feed that you get for $5 a month access to that, plus all the previous bonus shows we've done, which at this point is like almost 100 shows you get immediately. If you like this show, it's more of it for fairly cheap. So check that out. Otherwise, we'll be back in a couple weeks with a brand new show, I believe another patron-requested show. Uh, I'm not sure on which game yet because I don't have my schedule in front of me, but I guess we'll all find out in a few weeks, and we'll see you then. 